Today's guest is extra special in many ways. I sit down with my beautiful wife to talk about a few things. What it's like to be married to a habits coach, what it's like to plan a wedding pretty much all by herself, insight on her career as an American Sign Language interpreter, and my favorite, how she crushes it with meal prepping and cooking delicious homemade dinners. So happy to welcome my best friend and my wife, Jessica Hazeman. Welcome to the podcast, Jessica. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Let's start from the beginning. What were your uh, fitness habits or what, what did you do as a child to work out or just play? Um, I was involved in gymnastics when I was very young. Um, I think that was the first thing that we did was like tiny tots tumbling. And I did that all the way up until the team started, which I think was like I was 10 or 11 maybe. I could be totally off by that. So from tiny tots to team what was like the stuff in between or what were you learning we did everything um from just floor routines we did the beam i remember like learning to do somersaults and back walkovers and Mm -hmm. how to flip off the beam so at some point i learned that i what do you mean by flip off the beam like to do you jump do a front flip and land that's pretty cool and i could do like front handsprings on the ground um flips on the bars the uneven bars that type of stuff but i was also involved in baseball okay i was the only girl on the baseball team for a majority of the years that i played and i did that up until they kind of forced me into softball because i was no longer allowed to play play (laughs) yeah exactly um how did you even get into baseball my brothers all played okay um i have three older brothers so my mom just that was what she was used to and signed up for baseball. And I'm sure that I wanted to play and I loved it. I Mm -hmm. always enjoyed it every single year. So she kept signing me up until softball came along. And I actually, I think I played softball until middle school or high school. And then I didn't like it anymore. I was like, it was better playing with the boys. (laughs) Yeah. So was it the sport itself or the team that kind of threw you away? I have a hard time getting along with women, girls. So oh, one of those. It was, it was much easier to hang out with the guys than, yeah. you know, no. throw balls at each other. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, so as far as gymnastics goes, why didn't you keep going with team or anything like that? The team is uh, much more involved. It was you started to travel. It was more expensive. It uh, just required a lot more time. And mm-hmm. being the youngest of four, um, my mom couldn't really handle traveling and everything for me, especially because. My brothers always wanted to do like traveling baseball and traveling sports, but with four of us, it's it's pretty difficult to be able to do that. So she wasn't going to give me special treatment. So. Even though you're the girl? Yeah, I got a lot of special treatment <laughs> besides <laughs> that, but traveling sports was not one of them. Um, so that kind of brings us up to high school, uh, starting from the younger ages again. What was your, I guess we'll call them nutritional habits, but what did you eat like growing up? I don't really remember as a child anything um, in high school though, I'm sure it was the same growing up. Mm-hmm. We always had home cooked meals. My mom was a stay at home mom. And even when she did end up going back to work, she still put a hot meal on the table every single night, no mm-hmm. matter what. Um, we very rarely ever ate out. It was only for like birthdays or special occasions. Yeah. Um, so I mean, we would eat everything like tacos and burgers and meatloaf and, all those like really good home cooked meals my mom would make. Mm-hmm. And I mean, we always had vegetables on the side. I do remember 
as a child having to finish the glass of milk my dad was very big and like you have to finish this glass of milk and it was so hard and I would eat my whole meal and I'd be so proud of myself and then I'd have that glass of milk sitting there and I would start crying because I didn't want to finish it but Mm -hmm. that was the hardest for me yeah um now so your dad was your dad someone you looked up to as far as like working out or what kind of a role model was he of fitness or health I feel like my dad has always been healthy. He definitely ate like somewhat of a well-balanced diet. He always had protein, vegetables, ate pretty healthy, but he also did eat like bags of Cheetos and always had kind of some type of dessert packed in his lunch and would eat cheese popcorn for dessert every night. But overall, I felt like he had pretty healthy habits. Um, But but it, it wasn't like he went to work, even though he was a mechanic, which is very laborious. Uh, he was also a pretty big lifter as well. Yeah. He worked out every single day from the time I can remember. I'm almost positive, positive every single day of his life Mm -hmm. until the age of 50. Um, I know right around 50, he was like, I've done this for 50 years. I'm done now. I'm not working out. And he stopped working out and he just, I mean, everything started hurting. He was like, my knees hurt, my elbows hurt. I'm going to the doctor for this. And he knew in the back of his mind it was that working out but it was that concept of do i want to keep coming home from work at five o'clock at night and spending an hour in the gym and um putting in work that way or taking a break and then you know feeling that in your body other ways so did he influence you as far as workouts went in high school or that was just something that you saw like that the guys do um Actually, I, I don't know where, what I was thinking in high school, but he didn't (laughs) like, I, I never really like thought about weightlifting or doing anything. I mean, he would definitely like had his weightlifting belt and would go downstairs and squat and deadlift. And from what I know, um, and I, I think that eventually my brothers got into that as well. Usually through the sports that they did, they Mm -hmm. were working out at like the high school and that type of thing. Yeah. But I never got into it until after high school. Yeah. Um, he definitely like he played catch with us outside and he did he he initiated other activities like right. physical activities other ways he'd mm-hmm. be the one to play basketball with us in the driveway but yeah he never really like pushed weightlifting yeah. on onto us at he all j- just it was there you saw him do it it wasn't like hey come bench this bar like right. you need to get bigger or whatever yeah and seeing him go from not working or from working out to not working out is yeah. one of the biggest reasons that i do work out yeah. because i can see at, at what age were you when he turned 50 or kind of where were you i don't know um <laughs> he's almost 60 so i was i was probably graduating from high school when okay. he stopped and i don't think it was like an abrupt stop he started to work out a little bit less right um and he kind of used that age as like okay i'm getting up there i yeah. don't really need to be busting ass every day but yeah but yeah. he also fishes a lot so now he's a lot more time for fishing he does he loves <laughs> his fishing and he is very very active he does have a laborious job where yeah. he's working and you know down on the ground and getting under machines and stuff so he does have that physical activity it's just not the strength building anymore right um so then we're in high school did you play any sports in high school um what was kind of the end end years like that sounds kind of morbid (laughs) Uh, what were the latter years like of high school um so in my freshman year of high school i i tried out for volleyball and basketball and mm-hmm. volleyball I made the team I'm pretty sure I was like on the freshman B team yeah. no maybe maybe the A team in freshman year I'm not sure but um again I just 
I was a catty girl, I think. I did not make friends easily. I felt like everyone else bonded very well with the team and I just Mm. never bonded with girls. Yeah. So it was hard for me to be involved in sports. I always kind of pitied myself and was like, well, this is too difficult. Like, you know, there was always a reason. There was always a reason why. So I did. I ended up quitting my sophomore year because I believed that the coach was out to get me and didn't want to play my senior, my junior (laughs) junior or senior year. And I'm sure that for some part of that, like, there was truth but Mm. at the same time like if i worked hard enough i would have been able to reap the benefits which i definitely did not learn to push through that Mm -hmm. like i don't know to get to where i want to be the uncomfortable until after high school but i also tried out for basketball and did not like to sprint so i quit that very i didn't even i think i would have made the team and i quit like the last day of tryouts i was like if i have to run this much in tryouts i'm done well i i think uh my mom has a funny story about that and i believe it was badminton, which yeah. there was too much running, so she stopped. Really? She didn't. She didn't keep playing no. in high school. Oh my no, no, gosh. no. This I think this might have been college. Wow. And now that's a lot of just what she does is running. So I think I, the I coaches just want to see mentally like what you're capable of because any type of you know team activity or sport activity they want to see how much you can handle mentally. Yeah. It's it, not it, even that you're you might not be running a lot in the sport, but they're yeah. like, can you handle it? Yeah. And a lot of kids, maybe not so much. Right. <laughs> um, so we have high school, still not a lot of lifting, um, not so much sports towards the end. What was your nutrition like? Were you cooking more or since you were home, pretty much mom, mom was handling it? Correct. My mom cooked. I moved out of the house, I want to say at the age of 22. Mm-hmm. And I had not cooked a single thing. I could make like a quesadilla. I made like a pizza in the oven. Yeah. I saw my mom cook. So like I did um, subconsciously pick up on things that she made and right. how she made it and things that she did. But I did not cook a yeah. single meal for myself until I moved out of the house, which mm-hmm. like, again, I, I now that I'm cooking meals every day, t- I give her so much credit for cooking a meal every single day for yeah. 40 years or however long she's right. been doing it. It's incredible. Um. So then high school, where did you go from there? Um, I guess we've been a lot of health and nutrition, but what was going through your head as far as like career paths? What, what did you want to do? When I was growing up, um, from a very young age, like my earliest memory of, you know, first grade when they're like, what do you want to be when you grow up? Mm -hmm. I said I wanted to be a stay at home mom and they would be like, well, you got to pick something. Like, do you want to be a veterinarian? Do you want to be a teacher? And I was always like, why my mom's a stay-at-home mom like she would she did, she was a lunch lady like she would come right. to school to see us basically is why yeah. she chose to be a lunch lady That's super but nice. i know she loved us but um she was a great stay-at-home mom and i mm-hmm. loved what she did and i loved that she got to be a, such a big part of our lives and that's what i wanted to do so eventually i loved my first grade teacher i have stayed in contact with my first grade teacher mm-hmm to this day i'm 26 year old six years old right now Congratulations! she came to my high school graduation um she i saw her every christmas holiday season i saw Mm -hmm. her at the beginning of school and the end of school all the way until i graduated and she was a huge influential part of my life so i um i remember that from the age of seven when i was in first grade i realized well if i can't be a stay-at-home mom yeah i want to be mrs Mm sideway and 
that was my goal was to become a first grade teacher and to I, I think there's probably a lot of people that have her as their reason <laughs> why to become a teacher or a teacher they loved she was also uh one of my teachers yeah um so from first grade you yeah. kind of had that in the back of your head yeah uh, i decided teaching must be what it is like i'm still around kids mm-hmm. i get to you know do something i always felt like i'd be a really good teacher and graduating um high school I stayed at local I went to a local community college and during that time I volunteered at my church nursery which is where I was exposed to sign language and started taking classes and when it was time to transfer to a full-time university for teaching Mm -hmm. um, they didn't offer ASL as a I know you've probably told this story at (laughs) least a hundred times but what what how were you exposed to sign language oh yeah um I worked in the nursery with the six month to two year olds Mm -hmm. and um, they had a snack time but they were only there for an hour, but they had a snack time where they would eat Cheerios and whatnot. And one day this little boy looked at me like with very much like he had a reason to be communicating with me and he kept using his hands to what I now know is the sign for more, which looks like this. (laughs) And, um, I had no idea what it meant. And right. I was like, what is he doing? Like, and then he started crying because I wasn't giving him what he wanted. <laughs> and, I'm doing the sign lady. Come right. on. And this is all he knows is he's communicating. He wasn't deaf, but he knew baby sign. Yeah. And the other aide or teacher or volunteer that was in the room was like, that's the ASL sign for more. And I was mm-hmm. like blown away. And here in my heart was, I just want to be the most wonderful mom that I can ever be one day. And if I can teach my babies to communicate at the age of six months, yeah. I'm going to learn that. So, so that's what so inspired wh- me to why start. why is baby sign, uh, like, why don't they just teach them how to talk? Uh, I love that question. <laughs> so, I mean, at six months, your brains are not developed enough to be able to communicate vocally. They're okay. still learning. Um, they start to make sounds and things like that. But they're, they are able to communicate using their hands. Um, their fine motor is not as developed as an adult, obviously. So yeah. their signs look a lot different. They have special like books that teach you how to use signs that are baby friendly, more mm-hmm. full hand gestures rather right. than trying to be very meticulous with the signs. So um, they so they can start communicating at the age of six months be- before their vocal cords and before that that relation that form i can't think of the specific word yeah before that connection is made in your brain they are able to communicate using sign language so a lot of um, parents have picked up on that and are using it because it's frustrating to deal with a baby who you can't communicate with so if you can teach them to tell you that they're finished eating and they're full or that they need milk or they are hungry like if they can at least check off specifically yeah Yeah. specifically give you that they that's very helpful or just like i mean you can teach them to sign mom and then unfortunately like dad goes to the crib they can sign that i want mom you know like (laughs) i got him you know like it's helpful (laughs) so it's very cool i i'm very excited to teach our own kids one day yeah so i was about to say is this an announcement (laughs) whoo um, moving right along. Um, so you are volunteering, you see baby sign, you go to Wabonzi or where, what was the next step to be made? Um, at that time I was actually already going to Wabonzi. I was getting all of my gen eds done. Okay. Um, I graduated high school a semester early, so I had already been there for two years at this point. Mm-hmm. And, um, my plan was to go to Aurora university again, taking after my brothers. That's where they went. It's yeah. local. They were able discount? to commute. 
I think so. I think it was like $6,000 though. In the big scheme of things, it was not exactly worth it. So I went there and I had a meeting with an advisor and Mm -hmm. I was like, I want to be a teacher. And they were like, great. We have a great teaching program. Mm -hmm. It's wonderful. And I was super excited. And I was like, and I want to minor in ASL because by this point I had taken classes at Wabansi. Okay. So Wabansi offered ASL classes. And they do, they offer an interpret, they have an interpreting program as well. Um, but, uh, the teachers there are incredible. Every deaf person I've ever met in my life is incredible. And I was so obsessed with the idea of becoming fluent in ASL. I loved the community. I wanted to implement ASL into my teaching career. So how, how deep did you get into ASL as far as like, what was your, um, did it take up a lot of your everyday thoughts or like, Oh yeah. Yeah. I loved it. Um, I was taking, I mean, I was just taking gen eds, which were not like fascinating to me. Mm -hmm. They were the math courses that I had to take or whatever so this was basically like an elective this was something that I was passionate about I was excited to learn and to be honest like I took French in high school I tried to learn Spanish at one point in my life like I could not pick up on these other languages and I could pick up on ASL and I was so excited to be learning and every time I'd come home from class I'd have more words and more knowledge and by the time I went to that meeting with Aurora University I I don't even think I could communicate fully in ASL. I think I was in ASL two, which is you're still learning like basic sentences in Mm -hmm. ASL two, but I was more so just so excited about it and so happy about it. And the concept of learning it was awesome. And just the people, the two professors that I had were, they were just great. And it, I felt like I just knew that that needed to be a part of my life Mm -hmm. right when I started. Yeah. So I went to this meeting and they told me, you know, we don't offer ASL. It's not a minor. We don't offer any classes. And I. So what is that? What left. What does that mean? They don't offer it. Well, they they said it wasn't it didn't meet a second language requirement. So which I know like (laughs) if they just said that they didn't offer it, I probably would have been like, okay, like that's okay. But at this point, like this is my language. Like these are my people. I felt so connected with this part, this culture that ASL presents that I was like, no, like I was mad at that point. So I, um, yeah. So I came home and cried and cried and cried and cried. And my mom came. Are are you a crier? (laughs) Yeah, I sure am. (laughs) And I don't remember the whole span of things, but I know from that meeting to the time that I decided to transfer and go to a major in American Sign Language Interpretation, I think was about two weeks and would never have happened. I was So you went from teaching major, wanting ASL minor to just dabble right. to, hey, this is a language. This is going to be my language. And I, yeah, just the, the strength, the... Uh, feelings that I felt after like not being able to have that as a part of my life like them saying like this is just not a part of it anymore I was so mad that Mm -hmm. I was like no this is going to be my entire life this is going to be my (laughs) life calling like I don't know if I was trying to prove them wrong like I don't know but it was a hundred percent I have to call out my mom because I didn't even think of the idea Mm -hmm. I just knew I was so upset and she came to me and she's like if you are this upset about it like we will find a way like at the time like to be able to afford to go to a school that offers it we will find a way to make whatever your dream is happen right 
and see, this is where I cry. <laughs> and she did. Like, I mean, financially, we didn't have money saved for college. We didn't think it was even possible. And she went to the like parents meeting with me at Columbia and she, I mean, we definitely took out a lot of loans, which were put on me as a responsibility, but the fact mm-hmm. that we were able to, she g- gave you the opportunity. She did. And yeah. it was, it was amazing. Wonderful. Well, I'm going to try to talk for a little bit to let you <laughs> compose yourself. Um, well, we do have tissues over there. Um, so you found that ASL is what you want to do. You're two years in, you have your gen eds. Uh, what was the experience like when you get to Columbia as far as was there dorms? Were you working out? What was going on in your life then? So when I started at Columbia, I was again, two years into college, um, I community college and I transferred and um, to save money, we, I commuted. So we live in the suburbs of Chicago, but where it's about 40 minute drive on a good day with no traffic, mm-hmm. which doesn't exist. And it was about from my house to the school via transport Metra train mm-hmm. was a two hour commute. So that's what I did for the first three years or first two and a half years that I was there. Wow. I got on the train and I had the two hour commute, got to school and um i well, tried what did to you do on that commute did you do homework did you relax watch netflix oh man i don't even think netflix was like it, a, a thing at the point probably hard to get on the train and, yeah i think so <laughs> i think i downloaded like podcasts and shows okay. um but um what did it look like i would schedule my days i tried to go two or three days a week so normally a college student plans like maybe a class or two a day Mm -hmm. I would schedule all seven classes that I had for one day if I could because it was such an ordeal to get out there so I usually would have like a 9 a.m class which would require me leaving at like my house at 5 30 so I could get there by 7 30 because if I got there by 8 30 I'd be late you were driving or you were on the train with the regular commuters right and it was I mean I'm sure they hated me this like young college student who would take up two spots on the train because I'd be laying down sleeping because I'm exhausted it's 5 30 in the morning and I'm sure I did not have a sleep a solid sleep routine at that point so that was terrible but I'd get there at 9 a.m or I guess 8.30 a.m. and I'd have 9 a.m. class and I would have classes all day long and usually would leave my last class would end at like 9 or 10 and I would head home but that was the way that I was able to do that one day and then that gave me the ability to work on other days which was important because I was trying to be able to afford to live and be able to afford to start paying back loans Yeah. yeah so working i worked throughout college and Mm -hmm. then it also gave me the ability to only have to do that awful commute two days a week usually i know there was a couple semesters i did have three days yeah i met uh some really great people that would let me stay at their apartments Mm -hmm. my best friend like i I basically moved into his apartment at one point so that i could sleep there like two or three nights a week that's very nice of him yeah (laughs) so what was the community like as far as asl went and now that I asked that question, I know that there's going to be a longer answer. Uh, <laughs> let's switch over to what was your fitness like in college? Oh, yeah. So somewhere in high school, no, somewhere before or somewhere while I was in community college. Let's mm-hmm. get this right. Um, my good friend, Rachel Davey, um, her father invited her to go to this workout class that he had become a part of. 
And at this point, like I ran, I think that was the most that I did. I like would run around. I probably do like home workouts in my backyard. Just to clarify to the people listening, she's one of these people that run for fun. <laughs> now I'm going to let, I'm going to let that sink in. I only run for fun because I got through the running for pain part when I got a Husky and I had to take him on runs. Ah, and then I okay. was like, all right, me and him can run, you know, slow miles. And then it started to build up and now I enjoy running, but it was a process for sure. Okay. I did it for him for many years. Very nice of you. But um, yeah, so I ran a little bit. I'm sure I did home workouts. I, I mean, growing up, I'm sure that I had, I, I remember having body image problems and just wishing I was skinnier and mm-hmm. that type of thing. So I'm sure that I, I've gone through the diets. I've gone through trying to limit my calories and, you know, do tons and tons of sit-ups and home yeah. workouts and stuff, but nothing that I really stuck to. And then my friend's dad was a part of this community and invited her, her, his daughter to go along with to a um, class. And I was like, oh, like she invited me along. And I was like, absolutely. So that's cool. we went to this gym, um, a local gym that does like group workouts. You can um, shout them out. Any gym that's getting people in shape and healthy, you can. Oh, yeah. Well, the name of the gym was Proforce, but okay. I'm trying to explain. Like it was like a group workout. Um, ah, okay. Not exactly. So, but it was centered around weightlifting weightlifting training strength training yeah so we did a lot of like high intensity workouts around the strength training but i went to one class and the trainers were so motivating and like pushed me and i loved it so i signed up myself i think that they had a group on at the time that was like buy six months for a really cheap price and i was like great so i pay and they're normally a pretty expensive gym so i did the six months group on and i that was like through the transition of starting at Columbia. Okay. And that was really good for me because while I was like, I had terrible eating habits or like what I thought were terrible eating habits and like probably ate like a bag of Cheetos every day and just like did not have a healthy diet. It was like stopping me from gaining like the freshman 15 or whatever. Like I was still maintaining that activity level. So. Well, you definitely got stronger while you were there as well. A hundred percent. And I felt like, it was really nice too because the community there was a lot of older women who mm-hmm. I could like look up to. Um, I don't think anyone my age was going at all. Like, well, what time were you going at? When I would have those big commutes, I was going. I was waking up and going to the five a.m. class. Okay, and hopping on the train and showering at school or whatever I could do. Like I, yeah. I'm. It, it ended up transferring to be very expensive, and right. I made that a priority because I was like. Hey, if I'm paying, I, I don't even remember what it was, but as a college student, I think it was really expensive. Um, but I was like, if I'm paying this much a month, I'm going there. They're, they have six classes a week. I'm going to every single class. Mm-hmm. So I would very often, I think for an entire year, I woke up at 5 a.m. to go so I could catch the 640 train out of Geneva, right. go to the city. And then I had my workout done and I could, you know, maintain that throughout the year. Right. So. Yeah, that was fitness. I I didn't like eat well at all. We mm-hmm. I would try to pack food because I didn't want to eat out every day, but I probably What was drank. Your, what was your go-to restaurant? We had, Panera was right below us. So we ate Panera every single day. I, I swear to god I spent like billions of dollars there that <laughs> billions. year. Billions. <laughs> wow. It's impressive. It was so bad. We and it was like every single time I'd get 
the worst thing like three bagels a day i we drank like nine cups of coffee dunkin donuts was right below us to or right around the corner from us so yeah. so you're in the city yeah okay oh straight like center of chicago we were like a two blocks away from michigan Ave. michigan avenue yeah yeah um yeah so you can't miss columbia when you're going in there but yeah it was lots of coffee lots of carbs not not doing real good with the food um so i we can get back to the other question what what's the asl community like when you were at columbia um columbia is i will say the greatest school for interpreting because they really put an emphasis on including that culture um letting you become a part of the community and also like your teachers are these incredibly amazing talented um individuals so Mm -hmm. i had one teacher who is a deaf comedian and he traveled the world would very often like be like i was in germany this past weekend like he traveled all over the place i had two teachers actually that did travel a lot but this one was a comedian and like a storyteller and he was wonderful and amazing and he's the chair of um columbia right now the chair of the asl department what's the chair mean the highest up that you can be in the department um and it was just it was like anyone any deaf person that you meet anybody in the entire community knows like wow you have peter cook as a teacher that's incredible like which was it it really was even as a beginning asl student i knew how lucky i was to be learning from somebody so amazing Mm -hmm. same with like i mean um, a lot of the linguistic teachers have phds in linguistics and they I have like some great interpreting teachers and I had like one, one of my teachers, I could talk about him forever, but he was fluent in so many languages. He could read and write in Spanish. He could read and write in English. He was fluent in English and ASL and Latin ASL and Spanish ASL. Yes. So he, um, that's incredible. Yeah. He knew like more languages than I even knew what languages were yeah (laughs) i don't even know um but yeah so the the professors that we were learning from were incredible and because they were so incredible they had you know this huge community behind him behind them supporting them right that we quickly became a part of Mm -hmm. and that um the deaf community is just so welcoming and so wonderful the people in it are i I could say wonderful like nine thousand more times because the people in it are so you know, supportive. We would go, I would do this thing where I would go to these deaf coffee chats, which is basically, um, monthly, the community of deaf people in your local community will come together at usually like a Starbucks or some type of, um, coffee shop Mm -hmm. and they will just chat. And it's a great place for, um, people who want to become a part of the community, they yeah. are so welcoming, whether you know ASL or not, they will make a way to communicate with you as long as you're willing. Mm-hmm. They worked with me. I mean, as a beginning student, not only was I learning the language, but I'm also not a talker. Like if you've met me, <laughs> I have, a, I have a really hard time <laughs> talking to people and creating yeah. conversations and starting conversations. And they still were able to get through that and become friends of mine. Um, I, yeah, they're just, it's just a great community to be a, yeah. to be a part and of. As a student, we kind of just glanced over this because I, I think you do a fair amount of time, but how good of a student were you through high school and college? 
Um, I was a straight eight student in both high school and college. Um, I graduated with a 4.0 GPA and I, I find a lot, I found a lot of pride in my work, um, in being able to maintain that GPA and, uh, even just like my homework assignments. Mm. I, I'm the type of student that wants that like really good feedback and wants that perfect, which I have to say is very tough when you're learning a language and you're learning the process of interpreting. There were many days that we would, I remember specifically a day in class where I think the entire class was bawling because we were not, we're not getting like, yeah, you're doing great. It was like this, what you're producing right now is crap and you need to fix it. Like Mm -hmm. you're going to have deaf people depending on your ability to interpret and the impact of that. And hearing someone say that, like, you're not good enough. You, you need to be better is hard. Like I yeah. I can write a paper about ASL and yeah, I'm going to get a hundred percent on that paper because I'm going to put the work into it. But learning a process like interpreting, mm-hmm. you can't just go from, you know, knowing nothing to being perfect. You have that, you know, right. Long in between of you need to get better. And would you consider yourself someone that was just smart and it kind of came easy to you as far as just homework in general or class in general, or did you have to work really hard to get kind of where you are? I worked really, really hard. Um, nothing came easy to me. I don't think that I ever learned anything throughout my entire education besides college. Um, like high school, I, I had a straight A's, but yeah. I could not tell you the presidents of the United States. Like yeah. I don't know history. I don't know geography. I don't know chemistry i don't know geology Geology. i don't know i don't (laughs) even know the subjects (laughs) of the classes all i know is that i passed them all with an a because i studied i did my homework i did the projects but i retained nothing yeah um but then college came along and it was hard but you you have retained (laughs) absolutely i hope so it's my job now um no very true like it was much much harder much more of a struggle but I feel like it, I mean, it paid off because I struggled through it. And I, like even the classes that were about the history of deaf culture mm-hmm. or the linguistics, the grammar, the uh, that type of information, the teachers did a very good job of being like, this is important. And yeah. it wasn't just something that you learned. It was something that, hey, you need to know this now to pass this test. You need to write a paper on it to pass the paper. But it's going to be on your professional license test. So every wh- deaf person wh- in the what's, world. What's a professional license test? Is that a Scantron that you have to do? No, when we, well, yes. So oh, I feel really? like you're, <laughs> you're going for the other one. Um, when you take the test to become an interpreter, you have to take two types of tests. Mm-hmm. Um, to one of them is a grammar test. Yeah. It, like just to know, basically it's an, it's an English proficiency test. So you need to be proficient in English to be able to interpret between English and ASL. So you do have to take a test that's like the grammar of oh, English and all of that. I'm out. Very hard. And uh, <laughs> to be honest, like a lot of people struggled with this because a lot of them were Spanish speaking first or ASL Spanish. speaking first. Yes. A lot of the people in my class. So really? their first language was Spanish or their first language was ASL. So ah. they, yeah, they crushed that ASL portion, but the, the English part is hard and the English yeah. part is hard for me. Remember, I do not retain that English stuff that I learned in high school. So we, all of us had to study very hard mm-hmm. for that English test. A lot of people 
had to like really, really prepare for that. But yeah. there's that English, which is a Scantron. Yeah. And then there is a performance test, which is um, for the state of Illinois, a test that you go to the office mm-hmm. and you make an appointment and you schedule it and you go in and it is a black box. Um, feel like you're getting interrogated by the It's FBI. a black box that would be perfect to have podcasts in because it's literally just like a pop-up ooh, yeah. pop-up box and um, very small and very claustrophobic. I'm going to write that down. <laughs> and in it is a old video camera that I, uh, yeah, an old video camera, an old TV. And, you know, I think they put a, like actual VHS in it of some deaf person signing. Mm-hmm. And then there is a fan because it's claustrophobic in there. They're trying to get some air going and it is still, it's scary and awkward and weird. And then you are standing in front of the camera interpreting what that deaf person is signing into English. And then you are also, they on like a sound system, they have some type of teacher or mm-hmm. um, some type of educator talking and you're interpreting that into asl into the camera that's recording you so it is very 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 stressful for anybody who's anxious about taking tests and if you're not anxious about taking tests i envy you and most people do envy you because no matter what that is it's a stressful situation and then on top of it you're put into a black box and your whole career is riding on it you can't start interpreting until you get this test so wow so how did yours go mine went well um i passed and the the fun thing about it is there's different levels for the Illinois licensure. So Can there you say is that last word again. Licensure. Okay. What does that mean? Your license. Oh, okay. So um I have you you have different levels of license, which means each level you can interpret more. So mm-hmm. there's a provisional one, which is great for students. It's great for those trying to um, build up the skills because you can do certain things like coaching events or, you know, park district, that type of thing. I can't remember off the top of my head, but church, like things where it doesn't have like, you know, too much writing on it. And it's more of like, here's a service, like a courtesy kind of thing. Um, I want to say that very like softly because I'm not positive about exactly what it is, but so that's for the provisional. Then there's um, four other tiers and each of them allows you to do more. Some one allows you to do educational, one allows you to do medical, and then the highest is legal. Mm-hmm. So you until you pass your legal licensure test, you can't go into a court and interpret in any way or um, a police station or a, like you need yeah. to have the correct licensure. Because which you is could great send because, someone to jail and you really right. don't want to have... Right. It's just, I mean, there's a lot riding on it. So you need to be a highly talented, proficient, like Mm -hmm. very good interpreter to be able to do that. And each one you have to take, um, you have to prepare for you. You're going to study for it just like you would study for any type of test that's got a lot riding on it. And you prepare if it, if you're taking the one to pass medical, obviously you would take medical classes and CEUs and try to get um, that education when under you your say belt. medical classes you would take medical asl classes or you would just take a medical class so you could get both i know like a lot of interpreters have talked about like when you want to take that legal one watch law and order that? law and order yeah really? yeah because i mean you, then you start to know you by the end of law and order like how many seasons are there that you'll start to know all of that legal jargon the like you song. hear it you, right <laughs> <laughs> you're just gonna walk around walk into the thing singing this thing Oh man. 
Um, no, you know, you, you start to pick up on it. Like if you watch a crime show, you start to know like the specific terminology that's related to it. Yeah. And it's not necessarily that that terminology is something that you've never heard. But when you're interpreting, it can't, you can't rack your brain to be like, oh wait, what does that mean? Like yeah. you need to know it. So if you are watching us 25 seasons of law and order mm-hmm. then by the end of it you'll know those legal that legal yeah. jargon much easier um, now is that the, the same in illinois that you need all those licenses or does it change throughout the uh the states it changes throughout the states um some like the uh bei which is illinois test mm-hmm. is accepted in other states i think there's like i don't know maybe 10 other states that accept it and also use that as their licensure. There's some states that don't have any, meaning anybody can pick up and interpret yeah. if they wanted to and so, charge for it. So probably in those states, there's not as many interpreters. So they don't want to just kind of shut things down and just not give people interpreters. Would that kind of be the reasoning behind it? Or they just don't have the right knowledge to be like, hey, we need to... I think more so it's the knowledge. I think that there are deaf people, I'm sure, going to medical appointments. and might not be... I mean, here in Illinois, we have Chicago. So so it, there's a highly populated deaf community here. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, any big city that you get to, it's going to have more, more population means more deaf people. So yeah. um, there's states that just don't have as much population, therefore don't have as much deaf people, therefore don't know. But um, in the big scheme of things, ASL interpreting has gone through a huge fight to become a language. It's mm-hmm. become a huge fight to become a career and a profession. And we are still fighting for, you know, our wages. We're still fighting for the things that we need to be treated as the profession that we are. And mm-hmm. like the, given the importance that we are and get that, giving that access to the deaf people that right. need that, you know, um, so I, let, I think let, 1990, let's break that. Oh, you're going to go into it already. What, what is the history, I guess, of in, ASL in the 1990s is when, um, the ADA passed the law to require that, um, those people with disabilities need access. Mm-hmm. So, and this is the time in which stores started to put ramps into the, the system so that right. wheelchairs could get in. It's also the time that, you know, the government is requiring that education, educational facilities or government facilities need to provide interpreters for anybody. But it was a very good thing for deaf people because before that, they really do try to fight to not be considered a disability because they are, they're they're able to do everything. They're, it's real. the only thing holding them back is that they need that interpreter or they, um, but they're still capable of so much. Like right. I feel like they they're trying to fight to get rid of that. But they do they did embrace this um, ADA law because it did pr- force governments and force schools and force those places to provide interpreters, which was you know crazy yeah. how, necessary. How, how were deaf people usually handled? Um, now you say this happened in the 1990s. At like how were people handled before then? Um. It's a very long history, so I'm going to sum it up. But um, originally, they, I mean, just like other people with disabilities, it was not a pretty sight. Like, people treated them terribly. Um, you know, they were not educated, and so on. Like, it, they were just considered disabled, and just like other people with disabilities, they did not get any equal access. Mm-hmm. Um, it then went into the type of communication of um 
just having like, you know, mom or sister help you out and you still weren't like really getting, getting anywhere. And then, um, they started to, at, at this point they did have deaf schools and which was great because deaf people could go to these schools and they were able to communicate there yeah. and that was a wonderful thing for them. It was ba- basically like a boarding school that they would go away. So it wasn't necessarily their cognitive abilities were slower. Mm-mm. It was the fact that they couldn't hear you. So if your skill or your ability to teach somebody was only through verbal, then they were SOL because it's not that they couldn't understand how to do things. It was the way you were teaching them was not advantageous. Right. So the at at some point they switched and then decided to make it where we had these deaf people coming into our classrooms Mm -hmm. um like mainstream classrooms regular classrooms and they were forced to learn oralism which is they not using sign language so they were reprimanded for using sign language and they had to learn how to read lips and um speak so they would have therapists they'd have vocal therapists that would come to the school and they would you know put they would put their hand on their throat and they would feel like the way that their tongue moved and mm-hmm. they'd have mirrors and they would you know do all these things to teach them how to speak because they said they believed that society as a whole right believed that if you could speak then you were normal yeah. you know like it doesn't matter that you can't hear you can read lips and you can speak so yeah. life is good for you, you like pa- you can pass Right. And this became a huge struggle because it's really hard to like learn how to speak and that they were wasting so much time training their learning how to speak. Like imagine, you know, you're in first grade, but 90% of your day you're at the vocal, you know, learning how to learning how to talk. Uh, The other 10% you're trying to learn how to read lips. You're not learning how to do math. You're not learning how to read. So they were wasting their time, mm-hmm. essentially, you know, forcing them to learn and focus on being normal, you yeah. know, in society standards. And they weren't putting time towards what was really necessary. So, um, yeah, so this was the age of oralism. And eventually we fought for the we as I, I was not a part of it, but <laughs> they fought very hard to prove, you know, that ASL is a language. Yeah. ASL is the gateway to knowledge. Like yeah. this is their way of communication. Well, it, and it, it sounds like your teachers are all very smart people. So them not being able to hear was not what was right. Like. And one of my teachers didn't learn ASL until he was in college. Really? He went away to a deaf college and, or, you know, a deaf in college w- was exposed to ASL. And yeah. that is how he learned ASL. Yeah. He learned ASL at the age of 19, 20 years right. old for that whole time he was using oralism. He was reading lips. And to be honest, like he grew so much as a person. Once he learned ASL, he was able to communicate. He was able yeah. to learn. He was able to start, you know, really soaking up that information. Mm-hmm. And so um, let, let's, we've talked a lot about it, but what is ASL and the difference between uh, say I have a sentence here and I'm talking to you, what would that be like in ASL? Cause I know it's a little confusing because it's not just straight to Spanish or something like that. How would you? Right. So a lot of people have the conception that, um, ASL is just, you know, putting your, putting the English words onto your hands. So to have a word that says right now I'm talking to you, mm-hmm. like, and to put those on your hands. And there is a specific sign language um, 
which is an in-between. It's not American Sign Language whatsoever. It's signing exact English or there's a different specific um, terminology used for each stage of it. But if you're going to sign exactly what you hear in English, that's signing exact English and it is possible. However, 99% of the people that I've worked with, the deaf community that I've worked with, that's not how they process information. That's not how they learn. That's not the language they know. That's like me transferring Spanish directly from Spanish to English using the words and not interpreting the concept or the meaning behind the words. Right. So that, that is possible. Um, a lot of the younger generation who has like cochlear implants who that can hear, um, Mm -hmm. somewhat or that, you know, has residual hearing and knows a little bit of, you know, has a little bit more into that, uh, hearing world, Mm -hmm. they'll be the ones that need that signing exact English because what they're focused on is, you know, the teacher's mouth is back or their teacher's back is to me and I can't understand what the teacher's saying right now. So I just need to know what she's saying. You're my ears for me. And that's when you would use signing exact English. But then you have ASL, which is an entirely different language. It is not English whatsoever. It's, it is its own language, but it's here. It's what we use here in America. So people just assume that it's English. Um, it's very, I mean, it's usually English to American Sign Language. However, American Sign Language is interpreted into Spanish. We have Spanish interpreters that interpret it straight to Spanish. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's not English. It's definitely not English. Yeah. <laughs> um, so if, if I were to give you, how about I don't give an example? You give me a good example of kind of the difference. Like give me a sentence and then kind of what the ASL so the basic like understanding that's um, easy for hearing people to understand, basic understanding for people to hear, <laughs> is that um, it's kind of like Spanish. So um, if I were to say like the paper is right here, mm-hmm. I would first like establish, you know, it's basically, or the paper is pink. I would first say... You can sign to the camera. It's really hard helps. to think in my mind of an example that's going to like prove my point. But it's backwards. So um, so the knight is coming to the castle. So, no, I don't like your example. I have that one. <laughs> so Alexander is my husband. I would say my husband is who? Alexander. Okay. And that's how I would sign it in ASL. That's one way. Obviously, like just like in English, you can say a sentence a million ways. Yeah. But the point is the grammar is different. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, especially with English, the meaning is so different. Like. Right. When you say something in English, you usually repeat yourself 95 times because English people like to hear themselves speak and they constantly say the same thing and then repeat it a different way and then finally get to the point. And in ASL, it's get to the point. Like, what is the point of this? Mm -hmm. So when you're interpreting, you get rid of all that like fluffy word clutter that you don't need and you get to the point. I that word vomit. Right. You get rid of that (laughs) because they they want the point and they're very direct. And that's part of their culture is they are very direct and honest. A a lot of that is you're painting a picture with your hands and there's your, your focus is on the story and not kind of the outside fluff. Right. So, so that that's how I explain it when you're not there. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, no, it it's it's true. Like there you, you a professor can be, you know, going on and on and on about a point and to be honest, I'm just like, well, he said this, you know, he said right. the exact same point. He's still going on and on, but yeah. this is what he's he's getting. So when at. you're interpreting for a student, like he could be rambling about the same point 
and yeah, you're and giving her. I mean, usually I have a very good relationship with my students, so it'll be like he's saying the point, and then I'll like you know continue to interpret it in a new yeah. way because just like you know, especially in education, that teacher probably has a point to reiterating it five different ways, right? Because maybe the first way didn't resonate, you know, maybe mm. it's the second way. So. In education, I would just be like, hey, here, he's giving it this way. Like, here's another way you can possibly understand it. And like, let me paint a picture of a different way for you. Because just like that professor is trying to paint a few different pictures for the variety of minds Mm -hmm. in his classroom, I want to do the same for my deaf student because maybe the first way didn't resonate. But um, it all depends on the situation and like the dynamic that I have with the student and the teacher and the setting. Yeah. And because there's probably not too many podcasts on uh, ASL or anything like that. Um, what are the different types of interpreting you do as far as um, signing to your student? Do you voice for them? Like walk walk people through what that is. So I do. Um, my career in ASL has been only in post-secondary education. So I work in the surrounding colleges, universities, community colleges. I've also dabbled a little bit in K through 12 education. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, ha- I don't do like business meetings or medical or legal or anything. So all of my knowledge is here in the universities and what the situation looks like is it's always been one-on-one. Um, there's, I've never had a class with two deaf students. Um, eh, I've had, I've had situations where there's two, <laughs> two deaf students, yeah. but usually what it looks like is I will accept a job for the entire semester. And I like that because I'm a planner. I like to what? know what's going to be happening for the whole semester I have gone to classes, you know, just once to sub for somebody Mm -hmm. or things like that. But generally I get there the first day. Um, The deaf student, like I either know them because the community is very small or they know me. They know I'm sitting up front in a black shirt and I look like I'm a little older than everybody. And they know like that's my interpreter Mm -hmm. and they'll usually make some type of contact. Um, And then from there on out, like the other students will start to understand like this is who I am and I'm there every day. But what it looks like is the professor does his thing or Mm -hmm. his or her thing and will talk at the front of the classroom usually. Sometimes they sit at the back of the classroom, but wherever that um, professor is, I try to be as close to as possible. Mm -hmm. And but however, I want to be in an easy to see sight of the student, the deaf student. Usually the deaf student will sit near the front of the classroom so that there's no like heads bobbing in and out and blocking right. their view. And because I, if they can't see you, they don't know what's going on. Right. So yeah. So they usually sit, they know if they want to pay attention, they're going to sit in the front of the class. If they don't <laughs> want to pay attention, they're going to sit in the back of the class. But yeah. Um, yeah. So they sit in the front of the class and I interpret. So the weird thing that you might notice with interpreting if you ever witness it is there is usually more than one interpreter for classes or for any type of big event yeah and that's because it is so mentally draining that like if i'm gonna sit there for two hours my performance is going to decline just Mm -hmm. like if i were to play a basketball game without being subbed out like my performance is going to decline and mentally like i can't sit there for two hours and and interpret an in-depth lecture about the molecules like of the world like i can't well so because what you have to do is you listen to what the teacher is saying and then you have to while listening to that interpret what was said 30 seconds ago or kind of explain how that goes. yeah so the while the professor is talking um I'm listening. And like you said, it's about, you know, 
I would love it to be 30 seconds. It's usually like, you know, it can be anywhere from five seconds behind to 30 seconds behind. Mm -hmm. And I listen to what the professor says. And then I take that in. I find that concept if I can. Sometimes there's no point to what the teacher's saying, but I try to find the point. And then I try to clearly explain that in ASL to the student. So I'm simultaneously interpreting when I am interpreting in a classroom because I'm not asking the teacher to stop 90% of the time unless I'm clarifying something, but I'm, he keeps going while I'm interpreting, but it is taking in that information that he says, um, interpreting into the other language, but also adding any, um, implicit or (laughs) information I'm taking the, uh, so if he were to say something along the lines of a very easy example is if my phone was ringing. So right now you picture your iPhone ringing, like you hear the sound it's ringing and that's what everyone in that room is thinking. However, that deaf student, if I was, if I were to say my, like my phone is ringing in English terms, that deaf student's not going to get that visualization. Like the rest of the people I have to say like my phone, vocabulary. Right. Or I would say my phone is vibrating or my phone, like my video relay phone is like blinking because Mm -hmm. that's the way that they understand my phone is ringing like that blinking. Okay. Like now they can visualize that same exact event in relation to their world and their culture. So Mm -hmm. while the teacher didn't say my phone is blinking, that's something that I have to interpret and add in because it's a part of their culture. That's why they call it interpreting. (laughs) Right. And there's a lot of things that are said in the English culture. Like while we are wordy, we also assume that the other person understands what we're saying. Yeah. And I have to assume that the other person doesn't understand what the professor is saying. So I'm going to add all that information that wasn't said Mm -hmm. in and make it clear in my interpretation. So So. you have to do this. You're interpreting while somebody else is talking. Yeah. And how hard is that? (laughs) why I was crying in class because it's a very, very difficult process to learn. It's very mentally challenging to be able to not only be using your hands to produce something in a different language, but also be listening while the teacher's still talking and taking that information in, which is the, we, we use the term lag time Mm -hmm. because that's how far, if you were to like, the teacher were to stop talking, how long do you keep going? Because you're that far behind, um, that time, the more time you have, the more, okay, I can get to that point. I can portray easier on my hands. It's more clear Right. that lag time is important, but it's also very difficult to have a, a longer lag time because then the teacher's at a totally different concept and right. you're still painting this picture back here. Can you retain that information in your head long enough to be able to keep going? Yeah. So, it's a difficult and that's a very difficult process. And it depends too. like some teachers will be talking at the speed of light. And my lag time is like three seconds because I'm just trying to keep up with them because they're talking so fast. I just, I can't keep yeah. up with them. And then there's other teachers who, you know, mosey in and they're a lot more lax about things. And my lag time is a lot more because I'm able to portray that joke or I'm able right. to um, paint the picture a lot easier because they give me bit more time right which those are the teachers i like um so you are relaying the information to the student you're interpreting for um do you do anything on the other end do you how do they communicate with the class or the students the teachers so it all depends on um the student Uh, a lot of the students that i've worked with will voice for themselves meaning they speak for themselves they don't require 
um, they know English and they mm-hmm. speak into English. So the rest of the class can understand them perfectly fine. I have had situations where the, um, student will voice for themselves and they're a little difficult to understand. Yeah. However, like I, my exposure to the deaf community and my, um, just knowledge of them. And, you know, I usually work with the student for a while, so I start to like understand them a little bit better. So sometimes I will kind of be that second voice that's kind of clear clarifying or mm-hmm. like if they say a word that you're like oh well I don't think anyone caught that right I will clear clarify that for them so you'll voice for them uh, voice for, but yeah kind of like over them so okay. like as they're they're talking or you know if they're if that was just some somebody mumbling then I say hey they didn't understand you like repeat yourself you mm-hmm. know um or it didn't sound very you're not talking very loud or something like that that's very rare. Most most of the students that I work with are very clear. They're super easy to understand. They yeah. communicate with their friends, their family via so, speaking so if very they, easily. So if they can communicate well and they can read lips, why do they need you there? So two answers to that is um, one, because the, the person at the front of the classroom, whether that be, you know, the student, the teacher, whoever's at the front of the classroom teaching does not understand that someone is sitting there reading their lips, which is usually how they're able to communicate. Mm -hmm. So for example, like you're, you're sitting there and the teacher, you know, is walking, pacing back and forth. They're pointing at the board. They're behind the computer typing. They're pulling up something. They're helping another student in the back of the classroom, whatever they're doing. They're not looking directly at that deaf student, making the conversation, you know, directed towards them, which makes it very difficult to read lips if that is how they communicate. Yeah. And the other thing is just like, I mean, imagine you were, you know, fluent, let's say that, you know, pr- you took a couple Spanish classes and you're pretty good at Spanish and you just went to <laughs> go to, you know, get right. your going to Spain. You're going to no, like oh. you're, you're in an undergraduate class learning this difficult concept in a language that you're pretty good at, mm-hmm. you know? So you're not, you're learning it in your second language, which is difficult enough. You know, like here in the U.S., we're offering, you know, we offer things in Spanish. You can, when you call somewhere, you can get a Spanish, like the menu in Spanish because that's easier for them to understand. They probably, most of those people probably understand English, but it's easier for them to communicate in Spanish. Okay. Which when you're learning, like you're, you know, you're going to school, you're trying to become a professional, like you don't want to have to sit through, you know, nine hours of classes a day and, you know, struggling through learning it in your second language when right. you should be able to learn that in your first language like that. Mm-hmm. You, you man, It's kind of hard. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. And I, and that's why for you, when you have any class or program that you're interpreting for more than two hours, you usually have a team. Could right. you speak more to that? Yeah. So the, like I was saying, the process is incredibly difficult. Um, we have a industry standard that is really any class that is like super, super hard. Uh, for example, a chemistry class, even if it's 50 minutes long, if it has enough dense content that is very difficult to comprehend and portray, they'll provide a second interpreter because that content is so you know, difficult to understand, to interpret. Um, so is that second interpreter that. just chilling or what do they do? Um, we usually take turns. So it all depends on the situation. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I was saying is like, it could be as short of a class as 50 minutes. It could be something shorter depending on the content, but anything that's over two hours long, 90% of the time we'll have an interpreter because sitting there, 
Right. Okay. We'll have two interpreters because sitting there for two hours interpreting, even if it's easy content, is very difficult. The only exception for that is K through 12 because you have breaks. When you're in K through 12 ah, education, yeah, yeah, yeah. they have to color their picture, draw a map or, you know, have silent reading or they have gym class or they have all of these breaks throughout the day. So you you have those breaks and you have that ability to, you know, give your mind a rest. Mm hmm. So there's usually one interpreter for K through 12 education. But besides that, anything over two hours, especially post-secondary education, requires two interpreters, which we switch off. So while I am working, you know, really hard racking my brain interpreting this dense content, the other interpreter is not just chilling there most of the time. They are sitting there helping me. So if I miss a word or a statistic, which is a big one, like... If they're saying in 1999, like 642 people were in this, you know, packed, like those are a lot of numbers to remember mm-hmm. when I'm 30 seconds behind. Yeah. So my team can help and, you know, remember those numbers and then give them to me so that while How I'm interpreting, to you? they'll sign them at me okay. while like they'll wait for the exact moment that I need the number and then they're going to give it to me. So I just have to copy exactly what they're showing me so they're not behind you they're in no they're in front of me okay they usually will like sit off to the side of wherever wherever the event is and i kind of most of the time my eye contact is on the um audience or the class or the deaf student but if i need something i make eye contact with my other interpreter and they will help me sometimes it's as simple as like i forgot the sign for rabbit you know like and they will give that to me which is helpful (laughs) I'm going to get yelled at for that. You I? are going to get yelled at for that. <laughs> um, so I gave myself bunny ears. Uh, <laughs> has uh, interpreting our ASL uh, given you any uh, cool experience as far as people you've met or situations that you've been able to be in, been be involved with? <laughs> yeah. Um, I think every situation that I've been in interpreting has been amazing. Um, I love being in post-secondary education and getting to interpret the classes that I'm in. Mm-hmm. I find them all fascinating as an adult, the information that these you know students are learning at the moment. I've interpreted things from like welding classes to photography classes to um, history classes and yeah. chemistry classes and all of them between. And it's, it is really interesting to get that different perspective when you're not a student trying to pass a test, which... Yeah like I was saying, was my goal through my education. So it's, it is interesting to yeah. have these other, you know, this other perspective. But also I've interpreted events. Um, I've interpreted like in my practicum, I interpreted concerts. Um, I What does in- practicum mean? My internship okay. in my college. Um, my like last year I did a practicum, which is an internship where yeah. I shadowed interpreters and was able to kind of take on their role while they taught me. Very cool. Yeah. Have you met famous people or? I've met famous deaf people. Yeah. I've met famous people as well. Um, The the part of my career and my um, being an interpreter and we have a code of ethics where we don't, you know, necessarily talk about the for the privacy of the deaf community, for the privacy of the clients that we work with. Mm -hmm. um, We don't talk about this specific event. So if I were to be hired by a deaf client to go to a business meeting with, you know, a top businessman, right. I, that, that information, that meeting, that exchange of 
information stays there. Like I don't go say, Hey, you know, uh, I, I, Bill Gates, <laughs> there we go. Yeah. Like Bill Gates is about to do this with this term. Like I, oh. that information stays yeah, yeah, yeah. there. It's confidential. Um, I'm not going to say Bill Gates had a meeting with Susie because yeah. Su- that's Susie's private information. Correct. So it stays there. But I have met, um, in my practicum, I met Def- Douglas Ridloff, who's a de- famous um, deaf man. His wife is in a few different commercials and mm-hmm. TV shows and movies. And people are always like, there's a deaf woman. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's Douglas Ridloff's wife. Like, yeah. I met her. Like, So it's pretty cool. The deaf community is very tight knit. So I feel like even if I haven't met them, I know them very well, mm-hmm. which is cool. It's It's awesome to see. It's awesome to see, especially now in 2020, all of the exposure that the ASL community and the deaf community is getting and the um, how far they've come and the fact that they are able to represent themselves in movies and shows. Mm-hmm. And it's just amazing because they are talented and they are they have the ability to act and to be able to take on their role of portraying ASL correctly is so necessary when you have all of these shows and TVs yeah. and YouTubers and people who are just putting out crap and saying like, Oh, this is how you learn ASL. Like yeah. you got really talented people who are, who are educators, they're teachers, they're professors, right. and they are, they are the language. They are yeah. the, that community and they should be the ones educating. So, yeah. So I'll so, get off my soapbox. Well, no, no, no. <laughs> I, I, I was going to ask, is there anything that the ASL community would probably like you to bring up that is a sore subject or a controversy or a couple of them? like that um that uh if you didn't talk about it you'd hear about it later like is there any kind of big things i mean i don't think that like the deaf community is wonderful and i think that they i don't i would hope that they wouldn't not like me for not saying something (laughs) but um i think that's a big thing that's a really big thing is the fact that you have a you just have hearing people who are taking on these roles and like you know, you have movies that have ASL mm-hmm. in them, but it's not ASL. It's what they learned, like, by Googling or looking into a book and saying, like, oh, this must be the sign for it. Right. So it, there are situations where, like, the actor is the perfect role. You know, they're perfect for that role and they're not deaf. Like, yeah. then hire a deaf mentor to teach you the language, right. to teach you that, you know. Um, but if that's not the case, like, there are so many talented deaf actresses and actors who can play those roles and i know Mm -hmm. that's a big fight for all people with disabilities like people in wheelchairs want to want to have that opportunity to play that role you Mm know um i don't think that's limited to the deaf community per se um but also i mean if i don't know if it's just my perspective on asl but it's just it's annoying when people um assume that they know sign language or they play around with like just the fact that oh well i know sign language and like show a stupid sign um i think it's <laughs> so don't do that be like hey so if you legitimately learn to sign and it's not just trying right. to be funny well but- yeah most people show the sign for like asshole or they show the sign for like flipping you off and yeah. I mean, yeah, great. Like you're trying to make a joke, but understand this is somebody's language. And not only like, I don't think that everyone would take it as like, you're trying to be a jerk. But to me, I take it as you're trying to be a jerk because the language and the culture are already oppressed so much. They don't need, 
if you know better, you should know better. Like yeah. if you don't know better and you're, that's just, you know, where you're at in life, like I'll educate you and mm-hmm. I will tell you not to do that. It's a very nice way to put it. But, um, <laughs> if you know better, like be better, yeah. like be an example and, you know, don't give the respect, <laughs> give the respect that's known. <laughs> um, but you know, like I, you, that's, that's an innocent example because you are assuming that's the mm-hmm. sign for bunny. That's okay. I forgive you. I appreciate it. Um, so moving forward, I guess that's kind of a big part of your life. So we talked about it for just a wee bit. Um, and I think at some point at school we met. Yeah. Oh yeah, <laughs> we totally did. I think, I think you, I invited you to like my senior night and you didn't come. <laughs> Pretty sure I was working. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was, it was towards the, well, we met long before Yes, we met in high school. Uh, well, no, we're, we met when I was in, when I graduated we, we high school. Met when I think you had graduated early. Yes. Uh, we were playing BP. A buddy brought me over to someone's house. I, I remember the story. You're wearing a blue top <laughs> jeans and I think it was a pearl necklace that nobody can remember. Um, but that's what I'm sticking with. Uh, and I'll I'll say it from my version. Um, I tried to date you for about the next four years. <laughs> Didn't go too well. Um, what would you say from your perspective? <laughs> you tried to date me for four years. It didn't go well. Um, so when I first met you, mm. this is such a exciting love story. Um, when pictures. I first met you, I think that both of us were in a different place of life. I was just graduating. I was headed to college. I was, you know, hanging out with friends and, um, I didn't, I wasn't in my mind that I was like looking for a great guy. I was looking for, you know, just friends to hang out with or, Mm -hmm. you know, party with or whatever. And you were kind of weird and had long, weird hair and. All right. Nobody told me. I (laughs) thought if I had a lot of hair that people wouldn't notice that I was balding. Um, so you yeah. flipped it over the front where you were balding it was not good luck like i said nobody told me i know that's funny i should have been the one to tell you but thanks um and you also asked me to come to your grandma's house as the first time we would to come out. play croquet <laughs> i thought that was a good pull Apparently it was not. really weird <laughs> um i i did not grow up with grandparents so it was very strange the concept of wanting to hang out with old people yeah but on top of it like i didn't i barely knew you and we weren't friends and this was your idea of like get me in (laughs) i was trying to expose you to something that might excite you (laughs) i thought it was cool right so um but yeah so we knew each other and we definitely drifted apart through college i I was very focused on college. The only people that I spent any time with was my friends that were also in the interpreting program. Mm -hmm. Um, And I mean, it was a lot of work. And when we weren't actually in class, it was going to deaf events and being exposed to that community, which was it was very time consuming. And I would say that I didn't even do half as much as I should have. Like looking back, I should have been way more involved with the community. It would have helped me greatly. And I like you know, it, it makes the process longer. If I would have just emerged myself a hundred percent, you, you learn a lot quicker. You're exposed to the language more, you become more comfortable. Um, but yeah, I, I didn't even do half as much as I should have. And it still took up a lot of time, Yeah. but, but yeah. And then when we, um, 
when I started to wind down, I was in my practicum. I was just kind of doing normal hours of school. Yeah. You uh, popped back up into my life. I kind of felt bad. And I was like, I'll be his friend. <laughs> Why did you feel bad? Because your girlfriend just broke up with you. And I was like, he probably has no friends because she was so controlling. <laughs> all right. All right. We don't need to be talking negatively I'm about not, people that aren't I'm here. I'm talking negatively about you because I felt bad for you. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Okay. Playing the sad card. You know what? It worked. I'm okay with it. Um, so we started hanging out. Uh, we talk about somebody a lot on this podcast that I've never introduced, but uh, Jack. Um, so he definitely helped a lot. Uh, what... Um, I guess we don't need to go too deep into it. You have a pretty decent blog post about it. I did. <laughs> it's titled Why I Turned My Husband Down for Four Years. Great. So we'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll just kind of go to the meat and potatoes of it. I cut my hair. Got a decent job. Hey. Um, started. You're making me out to be shallow. That is not the only thing. You grew up a lot in those, you know, four years. I would years. agree. You definitely, the. I say it a lot, but I think that the people that we were with and the experiences that we had really helped us both grow up. I, you know, was in a place where I had this, you know, I didn't know what I wanted. I didn't Mm -hmm. know what kind of relationship I valued. I didn't understand what type of person would match me well. And I went through people and I dated different men and I, you know, realized like, okay, I need someone who can communicate with me better or, I need someone who I am more attracted to. Like I've, I dated a variety of people and realized like these are the priorities that I have. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that over the course of your dating experience, you realized your self-worth. Like you started to believe in yourself and mm-hmm. that was something that became one of your most attractive qualities in my eyes. And you didn't have that four years ago. So I yeah. think both of our experiences were so important to lead us back to each other well i I think to uh, once again quote or something i told jack was um (laughs) when we first met when we first met when i was bringing you over was hey this is actually someone i could see um like not seeing other people for like i would like i could see marrying her um and this was very early on well for like to my face you called me your future ex-wife for a very long time (laughs) and i thought it was a joke and now i'm really hoping it's a joke (laughs) (laughs) um so when we were just friends like that's just yeah um, we were friends that like you know at the end of the night would be the ones like kind of leaning in too close to each other but i was just friends with you i was sure of it yeah like like another person i always told mason it was the long game we had yeah we weren't gonna rush it um but so i worked quite a bit i was in wisconsin for about three months i would come back uh saturday nights and then have sunday and then leave sunday night and i would text quite a few people at the beginning and you were one of them that would come over and then it slowly turned into just you coming over and hanging out with the family that we had going on there. Um, and then, uh, you quickly moved in. Yeah. Well, did I, I, did I ask you? I don't think so. Well, okay. Wait, wait, wait. We got to wind back a little bit because we started dating somewhere in that little scheme of things. So it was right when I get back from Scotland, right? At some point, I confided in Jack that I was worried that you were not over the phase of, you know, just dating around and being with other women. And he looked me straight in the eye and was like, if you 
gave if you told him how you feel about him mm-hmm. which i like i don't even know if i i mean i think it was like day one i think i like him day two i'm in love with him day three what the fuck do i do yeah so it was like very quickly that i i realized i everyone else already knew it like literally everyone else mm-hmm. and there was me and it took me a while to realize that you were more than a friend because i valued your friendship so much i didn't think that you know, we could maintain this friendship as we had a romantic relationship, which we have successfully done. So that's good. But um, I, I told him that I was worried. And he was like, if you tell him how you feel, like he will drop everything and everyone to be with you. Mm-hmm. And I told you how I felt. And that was exactly what happened. You dropped everything. And we spent, you know, every hour, every waking second with mm-hmm. each other for months. I think we dated for three months. And then I was always there and I would like leave at like two in the morning and go home because I felt like I had to. And then I <laughs> you started being like, well, why are you going home to sleep here? And then Jack was like, well, if you're sleeping here, you should just move in. And I was like, Jack, that's a great idea. And then I think I just moved in and <laughs> into your room. Yeah. <laughs> and then you were like, well, you're here. So mm-hmm. that's how the uh, cookie crumbled. <laughs> what was... um because I think we're supposed to talk about fitness and nutrition a little bit on this. <laughs> um, what were your eating habits like when you... F- Actually, this is perfect. When you first moved in, what did you go to the store and buy for food? Oh my God, I love this. I was just thinking about this today. <laughs> so um, when I... So I, I said this earlier, but my mom cooked everything from for every meal. So... I never had experience cooking whatsoever. And then I moved out into your house was the first time that I moved out, um, the age of 22. And I was like, huh, I have to stock this fridge that's right here for us Mm -hmm. because you didn't have anything in it. Whoa. Probably Uh, true. Nothing. I don't think there's anything. Yeah. Leftovers. And then I was like, and then I have to cook because, you know, Corey, who is a wonderful cook and was also living in the home with us. Um, Jack's wife. Jack's wife. I, we could not, you know, I couldn't make her cook for us every single night. So I had to like partake in that and, you know, cook for the family. So not only was I cooking for myself, I was also cooking for my boyfriend who obviously I wanted to impress you, but I was also cooking for, you know, Corey, who's been cooking for years and like loves to cook. And then I'm also cooking for Jack. And 90% of the time I was cooking for like the neighbors too, because they (laughs) came over a lot. So I had a lot riding on, you know, my meals. So I was like, all right, I got to go to the store. I got to stock up. Mm -hmm. And the first thing that I came home with was like a lot of, you know, cheeses and condiments and pickles and, you know, um, canned beans and corn (laughs) and all this stuff that like you need the staples in the house like you gotta have flour you gotta have canned corn like those are the things you need (laughs) and i then went to like cook i don't even remember what the first thing was any of those ingredients out of any of them was there one thing that someone in the house doesn't eat well jack didn't eat cheese so right well no we we didn't eat, i don't think we ever used that corn i ended up donating it like i <laughs> giving it away i we don't we never ate canned food which was hilarious that i like went out and bought all this because then i was like okay now i need to cook and i looked up like a recipe and it was like here use meat and this fresh food and i was like well i got canned green beans like <laughs> i was just i had no idea what to do so um, slowly over the course of those years. And luckily, Corey did take a brunt of most of the cooking. So mm-hmm. 
I was able to do like one or two meals a week and started with like chicken and, you know, worked my way up and tackled. I would like text my mom and be like, what is the recipe for this meal? And um, at one point she gave me for, I think, I think it was the first Christmas after moving out. She gave me a recipe book of all of my favorite recipes of hers that I was able to start like using as inspiration and implementing into it. And they did not involve canned corn either. (laughs) Uh, So that was pretty much the nutrition aspect. Um, as far as the working out went, were you still going to that gym or where were you primarily? Um, well, one of the ways that you got me to hang out with you. <laughs> that sounds terrible. I know, but at the be- beginning of it, it was the majority of what we did. <laughs> we go to the lake house too. That was a good draw. That was a good draw. Not my lake house. But you would but... get me, you were like, hey, Corey and Jenna and all these people come yeah. work out at the house. You should come work out too. And I was like, okay, all right. So I started coming because you had a big at jack's house we had a big barn Mm -hmm. um that was filled with gym equipment well half of it was so we had access to all of it so i was no longer going to pay the hefty price of going to pro force because i could now work out for free with you Mm -hmm. so we worked out um i remember it you did a lot of the same stuff that i was used to as in terms of like the high intensity training but also doing lifts and stuff but one thing that you forced me to switch was um my deadlift from a hex mm-hmm. bar to a straight bar mm-hmm. and i it was bad i think that was the first time i argued with you in the gym and it's just I went never, up from there and it hasn't stopped since um so for you you really liked seeing those really big numbers oh yeah at the beginning especially working out with you well no i think there's this woman cindy that i used to work out at, at proforce and I like she, you know, her daughter was my age. Yeah. She was in college at the same time I was. But I loved Cindy because she was just this kick ass woman who was a mom of, you know, two 20 year olds. Mm-hmm. And she had muscles and just looked good in a dress and like was so fun and was, you know, that dedicated person that was there every day. Yeah. And she was very inspiring because I would try to beat her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so me and her like would compete and she, I think she always beat, beat me, but. It was still fun to compete with her. Um, So I'm a very competitive person. So I think that's the third time you did this, this (laughs) podcast. Um, So, yes. So I started competing with her. And then when I started working out at the gym, it was nice to you started to kind of be like, hey, let's compete with yourself. Like, Mm -hmm. how can you grow? How can you be better? Yeah. And I just enjoyed it. I mean, I loved the physical activity. Yeah. you made working out fun. So we definitely worked out quite a bit. I'd I'd like to pride myself. I don't think I ever did injure you during any, any of the workouts. I don't think I've ever been injured. Dang. You know, I was going to try to take credit for my coaching and not injuring people. (laughs) Um, but from there, you didn't injure me though. So success. Hey, hey, there we go. (laughs) Um, as far as body image and nutrition and working out, what was that kind of in your life? Because obviously you were beforehand, you were working out just to fulfill the lifestyle you had in college. How did that change once we started dating and so on? Um, you don't have to go too far. We'll make it there. Okay. So I guess I fought for, well, like, you know, Middle school and high school, every girl thinks they're fat. And I think it's because in my generation, it was low rise jeans Mm -hmm. and you, no matter what, look fat in low rise jeans. 
um, but did not do good for me as a, you know, teenager. So that was the start of like trying to, you know, limit calories and trying Mm. to work out and do sit ups and, you know, not feeling great about my body. And I think that a lot of younger people experience this, whether, you know, I, I was five, six and weighed 120 pounds, which is 20 pounds less than I weigh now, but I was very insecure about myself. At one point, a boy in high school told me that I was looking rather chubby one day and that really negatively impacted me like for years and years to come. That is one of the main reasons that I push to like look better and look thinner. Mm-hmm. Um, and then at somewhere uh, between my best friend in college, who was a very um, supportive, loving person who was like jess you're beautiful like you're so sexy you're he was gay so it wasn't (laughs) weird that he called me sexy um was he made me he did like the compliments that he gave me and the way that he he made me feel about myself and other you know women in high school made me feel about myself i went to a liberal arts college so people are a little bit different than the community that i grew up here in um batavia with so they were very, you know, like, hey, you do you, your body's great, love yourself kind right. of deal. Yeah. And between that and then meeting you and like the way that you see me um, was l- l- just the icing on the cake. Like having you think that I'm, you know, perfect and beautiful and sexy and having that from, you know, w- this, this significant other um, and you expressing that, like you mm. are not afraid to tell me when you think that I look good, which is it's great for me because I thrive off of that, um, mm-hmm. affirmation. So along the way between you and Ethan and myself growing as an adult, I started to realize like, Hey, I do feel good about myself. Like I don't have to feel bad about myself. I don't have to like, yes, society wants me to want to be thinner or eat a certain way or whatever, but I can be happy with how I look. Yeah, Your motivations were no longer negative. Right. And I, I was, I, it it transferred to the point like i i we have pictures we you at the point when we started dating we're like very into progress pictures um and i have pictures from then and i look back and i'm like i did not look that great like i mm-hmm. had a stomach and i had chub i was a little chubby and i definitely like look at where i am now and i'm much happier with where i am now mm-hmm. but the mindset that i had when i met you um that was very impactful because I believed that I was beautiful. I believed that I, I liked my body. I felt very comfortable in it. And that positive self image has only made me better in the gym and nutritionally because in the gym, then I started to be, um, Hey, I want to get stronger and I want to You, you really enjoy hitting those numbers. <laughs> I like I like getting stronger. So, yeah, that was my focus rather than like, hey, get rid of this fat on my body cuz I hate it. Yeah. I was now like, what am I capable? Oh, I'm so excited. <laughs> what am I capable of? Yeah. So, um you helped me reach a lot of like first time goals and hitting like yeah. above a 200 squat and deadlift and Yeah benching like i uh, just a lot well, of you, things you can bench 135 so that's that's pretty cool yeah <laughs> um uh i'm racking my brain so that would be our fitness our nutrition um some more things that you do talk about i can still remember the day uh we're talking about loans because like you said about three months in probably in that fourth month i'm like hey just thinking in my head like if i'm gonna marry this lady 
um my mom's taught me well like what's the money situation <laughs> like <laughs> what, what what do we got going on here um so i remember asking you just kind of blissfully looking for a nice answer and uh so i asked you hey jessica like what's your plans with loans because if we get married like obviously i would have to take on that debt like do you think you're gonna be able to pay him off before we get married or <laughs> and then <Not> gonna... <laughs> um yeah well i think along with i think really everything in life it's the way to succeed is to change your perspective or to have a positive perspective um so just like i was saying prior about my body image um that was my perspective on loans like i had a negative perspective of like you know i just have to pay the minimum payment they're gonna they're gonna haunt me for the rest of my life that's just what it is you know um most adults that i knew had loans from college still that's just what it was that's just what it was they paid the minimum payment and that was fine and it is fine for a lot of people but you your perspective was like i want to do better than that i want to be better i want to get rid of them completely kind of deal Mm -hmm. so um yeah when you asked me that question i said well yeah we're gonna pay the minimum payment and i'm gonna live life and i'm gonna be happy and you were like what (laughs) (laughs) and super so how what was that number i had a hundred thousand dollars in loans um (laughs) so I i took a moment yeah well let it sink in literally like you stopped talking (laughs) we were face to face stopped talking and then took a moment but we had it i mean three months in i like you said as soon as you asked that question you knew that we were gonna end up together Mm -hmm. and i knew like right right when i was like jack where's what's going on like (laughs) i was pretty sure that this was it um, but yeah, so we were on that same team of like, let's tackle these loans after three months of dating, which is kind of jaw dropping. Um, and, and then at this point I really didn't, I'm not going to say I didn't know too much about you, but I was definitely in love with who you were as a person and not really like the things you could do or like the attributes or whatever it was. Um, and then you started breaking out all these schedules and... Right. You uh, gave me a goal. You were like, <laughs> this $100,000, we are going to pay off as much as possible. And we sat down and we talked about it and we were like, hey, um, you were making a income large enough to support us um, at the time because you were working construction. So, so the, the way I got extremely lucky, uh, the job that I do, I work about three to four months at a time. Um, it is... Uh, union work so I get paid very well 40 an hour Um, I would work upwards of usually a minimum of 65 hours a week on the low end and then I would work upwards to uh, definitely a couple weeks I worked 100 hours right Um, so we kind of planned off me working six seven months a year and kind of um, me paying for as much as I could and then you paying uh, most of your income would just go straight to the loans. Right. We budgeted your income to pay our rent, to pay for food, mm-hmm. to pay for vacations because we still wanted to travel during that time. Um, and my entire income went straight to loans like for two years, I think I, which you, I sounds think... like nothing, you know, like, oh, for two years I had to put my income to loans. Yeah. But it felt so long knowing 
my paychecks, literally, I they would go to my bank account and I would send them straight to loans because I knew that I didn't need money to support myself. I knew that I didn't need to hit a grocery budget because yeah. that was in your account at the time. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, they're going straight to loans. So there was no like shopping at Sephora or, you know, yeah. very rarely did I buy anything new for myself, which like, I don't know if other women will resonate, but like when you're dating a new guy, like you were trying to be like looking cute all the time. And it was really <laughs> difficult because I was really trying, we were, we were trying to save money and we were trying to put as much towards loans as we could, Yeah, which we successfully did. And we're able to pay off completely all of my student loans, all $115,000 by the end of it to, um, I think it was like three months before the wedding. Yeah. Our goal was to pay it off by the wedding. And we ended up being like, Hey, it's three months early. This is yeah. great. But during the course of that time, we moved out to save money on rent, moved in with my parents. That helped a lot. Yeah. Which Actually, was Jack was in great. charge. It was a super time, but that extra little right. bit helped. It does. It does help. It adds up. And well, so we also cut down on moving in with my parents. Again, my mom cooks home cooked meals every night and just yeah. gave that to us for free and gave us free rent. Like we were living there and eating there for free, mm-hmm. which um, may, was a huge chunk of money that we were putting towards loans every month, which yeah. helped the matters greatly. Mm-hmm. And we were there for seven months. So, yeah. so it added up. Uh, we went to Colorado I somehow got you there without knowing that I was going to propose still that stories. Wait. Oh, wait. I was like, you didn't know you were going to propose the way you just said that. I was so thrown off. Um, yeah, no, we, you impromptu like was like, Hey, let's go to Colorado this weekend. And I was like, wait, 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 we're supposed to be going to a volleyball game, like a pro volleyball game that you were like super stoked about. And I was like, you're okay with missing that? And you're like, yeah, we're going to Colorado. It's time to rock climb. And like, you were really excited about it. And I was yeah. like, I'm not a spontaneous person. So I was like, uh, I really want to say no. I really want to say no. But who says no to going to Colorado? Like, but everything in me wanted to say no. And then I was like, okay, we'll do it. So we booked like last minute tickets to Colorado and, um, stayed in this really cute, uh, Airbnb. Airbnb. Yeah. And then, then our friends, uh, Josh and uh, Brittany definitely helped us out. Uh, there's poor communication on my end on telling them where I wanted the photos because I, or where I wanted to propose because I actually didn't know until we got to um, the hike. And then throughout the hike, uh, I still didn't know where we want to do the photos. So Brittany at the end is like, hey, okay, let's go. Let's go take some cute photos over there. Right. And, and I'm like, cute photos. Yay. And Brittany's a photographer too. So it was like, you know, she was about to pull out her camera and take a picture of us. I will take it. I yeah. will take that free photo any day. Um, that I later found out wasn't free because you paid for it. <laughs> but that's okay. Um, so after I proposed, um, obviously we had always been talking about image and fitness. And I said, hey... Uh, we have a wedding coming up. Um, this is going to be a very stressful time in your life. There's like, do you want to lose weight? I think at this point you had, we had eight or nine months ahead of time. So we set goals for ourselves. So before the wedding. Yeah. Did we, I thought we, we were engaged for over a year. Oh, okay. So at, at that point, um, I'm wrong again. Welcome to life. (laughs) Here we are. Um, so 
quickly thereafter, we kind of um, started planning where do we want to be physically or mentally just to make this process easy on ourselves. Um, so going up to the wedding, most people are like, Hey, I just want to be as skinny as possible. What was your mindset and process getting there? All right. My mindset and process. I want to preface that while we dated, we both looked really great. Like we were very happy with where we were at physically. Um, I would, my numbers, like you said, like I was lifting heavy, I was feeling good. Um, every year I was super inspired by the CrossFit games documentary that came out and (laughs) kept my motivation going. Um, but no, I was very happy. And again, like I had worked for years to create a good self image. So Mm -hmm. I was very happy with my body. Um, you made me feel incredibly good about myself. Um, which just, you know, that made me feel incredibly good about myself. And I felt like we were doing good nutritionally. We were doing good fitness wise. We worked out, we, we were good. Mm -hmm. So when you proposed, I felt great about myself. And I was like, I don't care where I'm at when the wedding happens. But once I find my dress, we have (laughs) to keep my body the exact same. Yeah. And then I found like, so I knew in my mind, I was sure that I was going to want this one specific type of dress. Mm -hmm. And it ended up being like the total opposite of what I wanted. And when I found the dress, I was like, well, really nothing matters except my butt. Like I got to maintain this butt because it was very <laughs> tight fitting. And I knew that I need my butt needed to look good. Yeah. So, so does that mean smaller, bigger? What, what it needed? Well, it needed. basically to stay the same because yeah. otherwise it'd be like a little baggy around there. And that, that was a no, no. If it got bigger then it'd be like a definite no, no, I'd yeah. have to get the dress altered. So it was basically, yeah, I just had to keep my butt. But, um, that was my biggest thing was like, I feel really good about where I'm at. Mm-hmm. Um, let's, let's, you know, I, I wouldn't hurt to lose weight, Yeah. but my main goal is to just be healthy and eating healthy because this is going to be a stressful period in our, in our life, planning a wedding. Right. Um, for me, I knew right at the beginning that it was going to be all of me. Um, mm-hmm. I was taking on a lot of responsibility, planning it ourselves, and trying to do it as cheap as possible, which all you know, require time and energy and doing that while working and still maintaining our relationship and et cetera. Like that's a lot of stuff to handle. So I knew that that nutrition, no matter what time of my life it was, this is like one of the most important times to maintain myself through the stress of what, what did your nutritional habits look like? Um, I guess let's go from when we first started, uh, dating, AKA bagel a day to where we're at now bagel a day wait no we were eating what something else with butter was it bagels i thought there was something else that we used to was eat was it bagels it was bagels at jack and Corey's house we oh i think it was bagels and then we left bagels came back to bagels later yeah we always have like our go-to you know processed carb processed carb <laughs> pancakes bagels mm-hmm. um when we started dating um I think it was just trying to get meals on the table, mm-hmm. like because I had moved in so early. It, we weren't really worried too much about. Um, we wanted protein. We wanted to have well balanced meals. We were trying to eat vegetables, but we definitely weren't as intensely involved as we are now. Um, and I say that because like we were pretty healthy. Mm-hmm. Like we weren't, you know, eating total crap right like well we so ate. it, it kind of helps that Corey's a registered dietitian she's in the process right. of getting her master's so she definitely 
if we had any questions on what was healthy and what right. wasn't, she'd let us know. Yeah, we were eating like good, well-balanced meals, fruits, yeah. vegetables. Not like not perfect by any means yeah. whatsoever while we were living there, um, nor living at my mom's house. I don't think that we were what I would consider. I think we've only gone up. Yeah. Is what I'm really trying to say. Excuse me. I um. I think that we started at a pretty good place. We had a pretty good understanding of what health was, right. but we've only, you know, fine-tuned that and gone up from there. Mm-hmm. So I think by the time we got married, we were, you know, we would still indulge. I th- think that we indulged more than we would at this moment because, like, we would go to the lake house and we'd eat a bunch of, you know, snacks and a bunch right. of, like, yeah. stuff that we wouldn't normally eat. But now we're kind of like to the point where we're like, okay, we can pass on that or we make a little bit better of decisions, but it's all, it's a process. It's a lifestyle. We're constantly moving and getting better and fine tuning that nutrition. But at the time it was, it was good enough. Um, I think from the moment that you proposed to, um, passing notes, (laughs) (laughs) I think from the moment that you proposed to the uh, like the wedding or I guess when I finalized my dress fitting we definitely you made it an imp- I, the most important thing that you emphasized was you need to be eating healthy because you are stressed out mm-hmm. you are still working out you need to be feeling your body and I think that that was that right. main difference that made a difference in what I looked like right. because well, yeah absolutely and I think when we got to that point I had just started nutrition coaching and you probably lost was it 10 or 15 pounds in the first couple of months right and that's when i was like okay like the weight loss is pretty cool but we got this coming up like the food isn't there just to lose weight like it's there to fuel you keep you mentally healthy and all those other things exactly which i felt yeah exactly what you said like we i had already lost this sum of weight and i was feeling like extra great about myself so i was mm-hmm. like well like let's maintain what we've got going I feel very like good about my body. If I got a little bit stronger, if my abs looked a little bit better, yeah, I wouldn't be sad about it. Um, and I have to say, like our honeymoon, I felt like that was the optimal, optimal, <laughs> you know, fitness You'd that say I was that's in. That's where your peak is. Yeah, and that's what like I want to maintain because I felt I felt really great about myself. I looked really great. I was eating a healthy, well balanced diet. I was moving every day. I was yeah. I, I had healthy habits and so we go to Bali. We'll make this pretty quick. It took us about thirty hours to get there. We went through Dubai, got to Bali. Um we ate a lot. We ate out a lot. Yes. I don't well we did didn't we did we go grocery shopping? Uh uh-uh. uh. We ate out every single meal for three weeks straight. It was glorious. It was really nice. A lot of noodles. Um, but not to say that we ate terribly. Like we no. still made okay decisions. Um, we definitely like splurged and you know treated ourselves at moments. Yeah. But sometimes I mean, sometimes we had so two I guess, dinners. I guess like eating out, we also ate like what the hotel offered at breakfast and stuff. Yeah. But like when they offer a buffet, you eat a little bit more than you would at home. <laughs> But I, we both came home from the honeymoon the same way because, and like the same, because we were very active. We were, you know, bike riding and swimming oh, yeah, and yeah. walking everywhere. Yeah. And did we watch Netflix other than on the plane? No, no, no. We were constantly on the move yeah. and just like I was playing getting, volleyball. I was getting and sunburns left and right. Swimming. Yeah. No, we were, I came back. I think I weighed less than when I left for the honeymoon because 
you like you said we were stress free and yeah. like not having to worry about a single thing our body was able to relax right metabolisms were on point mm-hmm. um so we get home from the wedding the loans are paid off moved moved into a new house we didn't buy one but we moved into a house uh a month before the wedding yeah um, exactly like a month and 14 days and it was while you're planning whew. while you're planning for wedding and once again i'm back at work working 7 13 so i pretty much came home eight acted like i was gonna work out a little bit um and then i'd go to bed so yeah. that <laughs> was a good two three months right and we moved out and i was like i can't do this by myself especially because we have a home gym that was yeah. in my parents basement at the time and i was like I'm not going to carry this 60 pound dumbbell up the stairs and like do all of this myself. We had like probably like, I don't know how many, how much do you think all those weights weigh? Like 600 pounds total. Like I'm not 600 pounds in bumper plates and about another 300 in dumbbells. Right. I'm not going to go up and down the stairs to carry 900 pounds out to the car (laughs) by myself. So of course our hardworking friend, Josh, who you just had on the podcast, he came and helped thank the lord and you know brunch, yeah. just oh my gosh i would not have been able to do it without him yeah but it helped me move into this house a month before the wedding yeah. and josh and jack they or jason and jack they helped with the furniture or, yeah. yeah oh no yeah jason and jack came and helped with the couch and set the couch up and yeah. did some other manly things around the house because you weren't here <laughs> <laughs> i was trying to make money yeah no it was it was really a hard time because it was a month before the wedding um, and I have a hard time leaving projects unfinished. So my goal was to like have the house furnished and beautiful and de- decorated mm-hmm. before the wedding, but also trying to like get bridesmaid stuff in line and do final touches and talk to the vendors. So yeah, it was really, I don't think the month before the wedding, I don't think I bear, I very rarely worked out because I was like priorities. These are my priorities. Yeah. And I think it was four or five days before the wedding you asked for my help on a couple of things and i got up and conveniently got vertigo (laughs) oh my god yeah it i was oh my god i'm asking him to like come you know i think it was straws or something come yeah come unwrap straws or cut them or something (laughs) and he goes he's like yeah i'll be right there and he stands up and starts like wobbling around and i was like you little (laughs) i was like you're not gonna help me he's gonna come up with some stupid excuse and he goes i feel a little dizzy and i was like wow that's convenient and so he lays down on the couch and i'm just fuming with anger i've planned this entire wedding like with you being at work i'm exhausted i just need help and He's like, no, I feel really dizzy. So well, he so I went and laid stumbles. Back. I went and laid back down in the bed. Yeah, and then all of a sudden gets out of bed, and I hear boom, 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 and he's like running into the walls to get to the bathroom and just pukes everywhere, right? Yeah. And then he just can't stop throwing up. He's so dizzy, and I was like, oh, maybe something's wrong. <laughs> then I became the caring, nurturing wonderful woman that i can be but oh man and then that was just bad you're sitting the whole day you were sitting in the waiting rooms oh man i was like well i'll take you to the hospital but we're uh, literally like four days away from the wedding i was like unfortunately i'm gonna bring the computer and we're gonna have to i'm gonna be doing some work (laughs) so here i am like in the room and the doctor's like telling him about like the symptoms of like 
you know, what did like well, a low were, heart rate? Well, they were worried because my heart rate was low, and they're like, "Oh, do you run a lot?" I'm like, "No, I hate running." <laughs> and at that point, they're like, "Oh, well, so something's wrong because his heart rate's so low." Like I neglected to tell him, like I do work out a lot. Yeah. <laughs> but they were worried about the heart rate and some other things. Right. So they're all worried, and I'm just sitting there, like, okay, when is the, what time do I need the service? <laughs> like going through all of my silly little spreadsheets mm-hmm. that I had an absurd amount of, yeah. um, which was actually nice. I had a whole day to work on my wedding spreadsheets. It ended Perfect. up being really great, but I I did not look very caring. But I got a lot done. Yeah. We ended up spending like nine hours we went to two different hospitals and um you had vertigo and not only were we about to get married like i think he could have suffered with vertigo through the wedding but we had a 30-hour flight to bali and then a three-week honeymoon coming up like uh that's a problem which you ended up being fine it worked out pretty good didn't have to do straws and still got to go to the (laughs) wedding um so we get back from the uh wedding promptly go back to work um because there was a a job and apparently that's what i'm supposed to be doing um so what was your nutrition and fitness like when i was uh working um when we got back from the honeymoon it had been you know three weeks plus a little bit before the wedding that Mm -hmm. i had not worked out per se like lifted weights or worked out um, at all. And I had a really hard time getting back to it. I think that it was a combination of just like, you know, being stress-free in Bali and not having to worry about those things and then coming home and going back to a job and having to cook again and having to clean a new house that I've never had to, you know, I've never had to clean an entire home by myself before and Mm -hmm. maintain that. Um, and then in addition to, trying to get back out into the gym and being alone. Like I just, all of those things Like you weren't here. I was in a house by myself. I grew up with three older brothers and you know, a home that was always filled. And then we lived with friends and that home was always filled. And now I'm in a house by myself for most of the evening. Mm -hmm. Like that combination of things just made it really hard. Um, to the point where like it became like such a struggle because I'm the type of person who's like, okay, it's on my list. It's on my calendar. Um, I don't have a hard time following that. Like I, that, that I was get one of the stuff done. attributes that I later learned after we started dating that if, if something is on your to-do list, like it just gets done. And that's one thing that's always just befuddled me that you can write it down and that just, you get it done. I write a lot of things down. <laughs> I have just recently started getting them done, but that just something that has amazed me that you can do those types of things. I appreciate um, that. So how long did that last? Um, well, just like that difficulty getting back into the gym. Um, I don't think I even tried for, you know, weeks. Mm-hmm. I, I was just like, I can't do it. I just don't feel like it or some, there was always a reason not to. Um, and there was a few weeks that I would go out into the gym and just feel exhausted and couldn't lift and, um, would feel lightheaded and dizzy. And like, just, I, I was just so there's something there and I don't know what it was. Um, that was preventing me from enjoying something that like I love so much. And I do talk about, uh, very often like physical activity and working out and lifting weights is something that I truly enjoy and it gives me so much happiness to be doing mm-hmm. and to go out and do something like that and be like 
I feel like crap or like this, this is just awful or I don't know. Like when people would ask me like, oh, like how's working out going? Like, I think that's one of your mom's like favorite questions because she like <laughs> loves to hear about our working out. Yeah. And I'd be like, it's, it's terrible. Like I go out there and I can't like yeah. there, I don't know what it was. Um, and there was many times that I would come in and I would be crying and you're like, it's okay. You don't have to work out today. And I was like, but I, I just can't get out there I, or I get yeah. out there and I can't do it. And I think it was like six months before I yeah. finally got out there and, and got back into a was, routine. Was there an aha moment or did it start with you just going and running or? So that was one of the big things was, um, I don't know what inspired me to go on that run, but I did run. And when I run, I, I feel that those endorphins and I get that runner's high and I love running. Um, I'll let you know when that happens to me. (laughs) (laughs) I've heard of it. I've heard of it. Yeah. It hasn't quite got there. It was a really, it was smart. I don't know if where, if I thought of it or you suggested it, but I went on that run and Mm -hmm. I was like, wow, I can do that. And then you were like, okay, then keep doing that. Mm-hmm. And then I ran a couple times more and then I did a couple other things. And then I was like, then that physical lifting weights activity, the mm-hmm. training that I was used to just kind of became a part of it again. Yeah. And it was much easier than just going from, I've spent the last six months of my life, you know, cleaning and organizing and doing all these things that also bring me a lot of joy. Yeah. I was now getting that same joy from something that. Yeah. So, so now we're kind of at present day as for, as far as fitness wise. Um, usually my, I guess in the past, our program used to be extremely strict. It was, uh, sets and reps Monday through Sunday, uh, was planned out. We had our Metcon, so metabolic conditioning, high heart rate. Um, and then, you would start asking me like, Hey, can you send me a workout or Hey, can you do this kind of thing? Uh, where are we now kind of without going outside and looking at the whiteboard? Like what, what does your programming look like right now? Um, so I guess after those like six months of finally getting to working out, it's been probably, you know, four months of me, three or four months of me like back into a established Mm -hmm. routine. Um, and for a while that was very hodgepodge, like just getting my body moving and regaining that love again. Um, now just recently, I want to say a month ago, we started a program that we did in the past Mm -hmm. that I loved and you loved and built muscle. And, um, I think that it was really good to start the program because I am that schedule type person Mm -hmm. and I do love that. I know what's going to happen every day and I can follow a program and I can succeed because Mm -hmm. again, it's something that's scheduled. It's something that I can do. And that's very easy for me when I'm feeling it. Right. (laughs) Um, definitely not in that time. It wouldn't have been easy, but, um, but yeah, so I now lift heavy, like per se squat deadlift or bench three times a week. Mm -hmm. And thanks for the you yeah i just want to make sure you remembered i know and then we do some type of activity the other days so just recently though we both well i got a whoop which tracks my heart rate and my recovery um which i love very Mm -hmm. much so um but it's been very helpful because i know how much i need sleep and it tells me that i'm right (laughs) (laughs) um but it does it 
like when there are days that I don't get proper sleep, it tells me like, you need to take it easy on these days. And it's, it's refreshing to hear that because I see the, the way that the whoop works and the app works. I'm able to see like, holy crap, my body is burning. It is working so hard just to be alive right now because Mm -hmm. I didn't give it the proper recovery that it needed. So just like today, for example, I didn't get good sleep last night for whatever reason, if it was storming or I was cold. Well, or, so how many hours did you get? Forever. Um, I got seven and a half hours of sleep. Okay. Um, I usually don't recover well unless it's over eight hours. And I've known that about myself for years. Um, people. Which <laughs> unfortunately now you have now evidence. Now I have evidence. I've known that I need eight hours. I thrive if I have nine hours. Like I, I do well with a lot of sleep. Yeah. And that's not necessarily like going to be a forever thing. One of the things that we're working on is making our sleep better, yeah. which will hopefully the mean quality. that I need yeah. less. Yeah. Mm-hmm. By, you know, having a better nighttime routine and a morning routine and getting better sleep while I am asleep, better mm-hmm. quality sleep. Um, so hopefully I won't need nine hours to thrive. But last night I got seven and a half hours and I can see just today by being with the kids that I nanny. Um, running around playing, uh, doing homework, cleaning, just those activities alone surpassed the amount of strain that like my whoop would suggest. Mm -hmm. So if today were to be a day that I'd go out there and work out, I'm going to be really like, you know, coming at my body pretty hard and Mm -hmm. making it harder to recover. So it is really nice to be able to see, Hey, like on days that you are recovered, yeah, go out, lift weights, gain strength. But the days that I'm not recovered, it's nice to know, like, Hey, let's go on a walk today. Let's yeah. take it easy. Let's give my body some time to recover so that I'm benefiting from yeah. the workouts. But no matter what, I try to stay active. I try to work out per se, right. move my body, do some type of exercise, whether it's walking or rollerblading right. every day, Yeah. no matter what my recovery is. But it's nice to now have that. Okay. Well, three days of the week, I want to make sure I get good recovery. I'm working out hard. I'm, you know, doing things like Lately, we've been doing sprints and running the mile and mm-hmm. things like that. So I'm trying to get a little bit of everything, um, really challenge my body in different ways. But yeah. it's nice to see that recovery in mm-hmm. line with it. So you've been uh, doing, I guess, a strength biased for three days of the week. Uh, your numbers are definitely going up. You've um, lost maybe seven or eight well i don't i'm not yeah number wrong right i don't i gained a little bit of weight after the honeymoon um because i wasn't working out i was also my eating habits kind of went a little bit down and then they're going back up um but what was i gonna say oh so in that time i gained probably i think i weighed like 153 was my highest Mm mm-hmm and now I'm down to like 147. So yeah, yeah five and five pounds I've lost. Do you feel like you've been starving yourself at all? No, not at all. <laughs> um, I think that's one of the things that I, it's actually the opposite. Like when I was gaining weight, I was eating less, but eating, well, maybe I was eating more calories, but I was eating less stuff, but crappier stuff. So yeah. I was eating like pancakes Hi- for breakfast. Processed. Yeah. Or like salami on hawaiian roll sandwiches for lunch or quesadillas or eating out um getting like chicken nuggets or something from panera mm-hmm. panera doesn't even have chicken i was about nuggets. to say it's That's on their special weird. list <laughs> mac and cheese from panera i don't know yeah um eating out a lot so i wasn't eating as um you know 
what I would want to be putting in my body, like what I put in my body now. Yeah. Um, so just to clarify six months and 10 pounds, like 10 pounds added in six months is about, this is going to be terrible. Like 0.35 yeah, pounds. It's very, very minuscule. Or no, it's one point something. Yeah. Um, so like that, that hard to realize that that's what's going on or even like you're weighing. To care. Right. Right. And then like, if that would have gone on like most post wedding stuff, guys, like we're a year. Okay. That's 15 pounds. Oh, okay. Like a year and a half. Like, well, but I want to interrupt you and say yeah, like, absolutely. I, I feel like a lot of people do like, yeah, that diet, I'm going to diet, 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 have my wedding. And then they just don't care anymore. Mm-hmm. The problem with my situation was that I cared so much. Yeah. It, what it, I didn't care about the weight. I was so mad at myself for not working out. I mm-hmm. was so upset with myself that I could not get out into the gym. I knew that my body needed it. I knew that this is something that will make me happy. That's good for my mental health. That is important for life and something that I value deeply and I think that's why it was so hard for me to not be able to do it. And yeah. that's why I was emotional. And I, I I, have never in my life felt like I could not do something physically. And yeah. that was one of the hardest things. So I knew, I saw that number going up on the scale. Yeah. And that's not what I was upset about. I was upset that I couldn't get into the gym. Right. And I couldn't, like, I would literally lift the bar and I would do the workout and I would feel like shit at the end, which is not yeah not normal you, you i mean yeah. it's hard to lift a bar <laughs> and then be like oh this stinks you yeah. know like it's very easy to reap those benefits and feel those endorphins and yeah there's something going on and i don't know yeah. exactly so what you was. would say the motivations for you or the things to get whatever you were done um the aesthetics portion of it is not really a big part of why you do what you do. It's more so to be healthy and because you know, it's good for you. Would um, you? Yeah. yes, oh, okay. I would say that's why, but then when the aesthetics look good, I definitely like that. <laughs> <laughs> that <laughs> but, that's more of a secondary effect. Yes. Well, yeah, I think when I'm working out and I'm eating healthy, I feel so much better. Mm-hmm. We are so much happier. Yeah. We, our relationship is better my mental clarity is better. Like I could go on and on, like the way I treat the kids, the way that I interact with people, mm-hmm. the energy level, like everything stems. And I would say from working out, like I think my nutrition is much easier to maintain when I'm, I know that I'm out, outside in the gym yeah. every day. Um, so do you think there is anything in particular that kept you organized or really kept you on base? Um, when you started working out, were you doing something else at the same time? um yes <laughs> okay so funny you ask <laughs> funny you ask um so when we came back from bali and i had to start cooking again i for a long time it was like what can i make that's as fast as possible and mm-hmm. uh, a lot of it was like okay i have pre-made burgers that i meal prepped and whatnot but then because you were working so you what, eat- what was i very picky no, you, he literally, if I made a burger with just ground beef and like no seasoning, he'd be like, this is delicious. And I was like, okay, that's great. I'll as long as there it. wasn't like a lot of grease on it, then it was great. Yeah. No, you were not picky at all. So that was it. I was like, I put your nutrition a lot. Like I would meal prep a lot and I'd mm-hmm. spend hours on the weekend meal prepping because I wanted you to be eating. And then like, that was when I'm eating a salami sandwich for lunch and like not on a Hawaiian roll. I have to emphasize that. Cause like 
those are my bad decisions. Like right. it's still not that bad of a decision, but, um, yeah, no. So I was definitely not putting myself first and I was, I would listen to you talk to your clients and how like, you're like, just eat a vegetable a day. And I was like, Oh man, I can do this. Like, why am I not doing this? <laughs> these are habits that I had. Yeah. So I talk a lot about that is like these habits that I have or have had are much easier to re-implement in your, in your life. Like mm-hmm. I know the process you've walked me through this. It's I not know, guesswork. right. I know I have to just, you know, add one veggie a day and then yeah. add it to each meal. And then soon enough, it's going to be a habit again. So I knew the process, but it was hard. So yes, for a long time I was meal prepping just for you. Mm-hmm. And then I figured out, okay, a, I need to figure out how to, for me to start eating healthy. And that means I need to be making better meals i can't yeah. just make ground beef burgers for you i have to like add <laughs> in some seasoning yeah add in some stuff that i like eat so my first step in like if i were to suggest how to start getting that process down would be to come up with meals that you like and that you enjoy and creating them as staple meals so like some of the staple meals that we eat are pesto chicken which i actually got from Corey, mm-hmm. um our old roommate and best friend um she it's literally just, well, I, pest- would, I would say Jack's more my best friend. Not necessarily Corey. <laughs> I do really enjoy her. Okay. But- I'm moving on. Um, so pesto chicken, we're back here. Okay. Anyways, um, <laughs> pesto chicken is literally just pesto sauce on chicken and I put a thermometer in it and I cook it and it's done. It's mm-hmm. super easy. And I make it on the days that I just don't feel like cooking because it is so easy. So how long prep time, cook time? So I take, well, so I buy chicken tenderloins from, Aldi because Mm -hmm. they're already like cut and I'm that lazy. Like I want it to be a cinch. Yeah. So I, um, literally dump them out of the package onto a pan and then pour the pesto sauce and then kind of rub it in with a spoon. Yeah. And then I put it in the oven with the thermometer in and the thermometer beeps when it reaches, reaches the desired internal time, maybe 30 seconds, Okay, 30 (laughs) seconds. All right. Boom, 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 boom. Done. It's like super, super easy. I mean, yeah, start the oven and stuff, but I'm doing other things while I do this. So I just, I just focus on getting in the oven and then it just tells me when it's done. Anyway. So we eat a lot of pesto chicken. We eat salmon. We eat burgers. We, I finally got this pork recipe done down. That's super easy. We have a pot roast recipe. That's super easy. I figured out how to make fillets because we love those. Mm -hmm. So like I have these staple meals that I just know how to cook. I don't have to look up a recipe. Mm -hmm. And I also know like what we pair them with. So like when we eat the pork, we have, you know, the tortilla. I keep hitting that. It's because I talk with my hands. Weird. Um, The pork, we have, you know, cilantro and tomato and onion like diced up and on there. We when we eat steak, we usually have a salad when we eat. Italian sausage, I always like put peppers, bell mm-hmm. peppers and onions in it. So right there, I'm taking out so much of the work of, you know, having to look up a recipe and figure out what ingredients I need. Like I have these meals that just, I know right off the top yeah. of my head and we worked for a while. Like I was, I kept right. asking you. Did this you, just come to you or? No, we tried a bunch of things. I tried different recipes. The pork recipe, we tried like six different ones till I found a, you know, a pork carnita recipe that I liked to make the tacos. I'm going to have to agree with you because I don't know. I don't know. They were all pretty good. (laughs) Um, but I would ask you, I'm like, is this, is this, I asked my thing would be like, okay, rated on a scale of 10 and everything you were like, this is a 10. And I was like, you need to be a harsher critic (laughs) because whatever you rate a 10, we're going to keep making. Yeah. 
And I I would say we have like 10, 15 recipes that I know right off the bat. Yeah, Yeah. my go-tos. So that was the first step in the process. And Mm. then the second step was to start making a grocery list. And, you know, that involves a bunch of different things because when I would go to make a grocery list, I would have to figure out like, okay, what kind of meals do we want? And they were mostly go-to meals, but I would sometimes be like, okay, let's get shrimp this week or, you know. I'd add what, in things. Hey, wait, I know this one, the shrimp and the butternut squash. Yeah. That's delicious. See, it's great. Um, Eight and a half. <laughs> so it's really good. I like that one. Um, so we would have, I, I would, A, like figure out what we kind of wanted to eat. So simultaneously, I started to be like, okay, if I want to start eating healthy and having these go-to meals, I not only need a grocery list, but I need to be, you know, taking inventory. What do we already have in the house? Like, mm-hmm. what do we need? Where can I put, you know, ingredients that we run out of? So, like, I kept noticing, like, I'd run out of onion powder and I'm like, okay, I need to, like, put this on some What's type of onion list. onion powder? A seasoning oh, that, okay. like, goes on the tacos just that we if, eat. Just if so. somebody doesn't know, just wanted to make sure. <laughs> So I needed to have a place to be able to put those. And then on top of it, I needed to, I, I figured like, okay, if we're going to be eating healthy and planning meals is, you know, how you're going to get there, prepping meals and planning meals. Sounds like a great idea. I know. And I'm not <laughs> the first person to do this. There's a million people who have already suggested these things, but mm. I, I, for some reason, you know, like to make everything more complicated. So I'm like, okay, meal plan. I'm going to make my own calendar for this. Yeah. Well, <laughs> so, so did it start with um did you do every the the thing that a lot of people i'm going to try for them not to get from this is all right today oh i hear a lot of people doing meal prepping these are the meals and then tomorrow trying to do it all no not at all if i were to if i were to suggest based on like the knowledge that we have I would start with, okay, just buy more produce and eat that produce. Like start snacking on produce, make it easier to eat. Um, where do you, where would you put it in your fridge? For me? Oh, yes. I just love talking about my fridge. Um, yeah, we have produce on our the first shelf that you see when you open the fridge. It's very easily displayed. And one of the things that I do is meal prep our, or prep our produce. So... I cut up carrots and put them in a container. I put even grapes. I take them out of the bag and put them in containers because it is so much easier to say, okay, here's a thing of grapes. I'm going to grab them and go while I'm running out the door or Mm -hmm. even just grab them and go into the living room. Like it is, if you have that ease, you're going to eat them. If I leave a bag of grapes in our fridge, it will never get eaten by either of us. It will sit there. But we That's just true. we just bought a bag of grapes, put them in containers, and they were gone within three days. Like yeah. because it's easy, and w- I'm not saying that I am perfect and I can just automatically eat healthy. But I do everything that I can to make it easy on myself. Yeah. And that was one of the things that we started with was to stop buying you know crap food and just have healthy options. So that is what we're forced to snack on and making those healthy options easier. So I'm not perfect. I'm definitely, I wish I ate more vegetables, but I know that like when I got home from work, those carrots were cut up right there, easy to eat. And Mm -hmm. that's much easier for me to grab and eat than if I had to go into my fridge, chop the carrots, but I just don't want to do that when I get home from work. So, um, I would start there, like just making that all of your fruits and vegetables easy to eat because then you will eat more of them. Yeah. And I mean, it, it, there's a million steps right. I could go into, but that's where so, I would start. So is there a place 
to which you have gone in depth on a majority of these things? This is a very leading question. <laughs> yeah, I have an Instagram account called All Things Organized. And what what got you started on that? I'm I'm going to give you credit, but I'm not sure. I'm pretty sure you were like, you should start an organizational business because you just threw this whole wedding by yourself and you know everything about everything. You know, that does sound like me. <laughs> <laughs> Very positive. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, that's great. So I started um, on my personal Instagram account. I started posting about, you know, my wedding spreadsheets and how we paid off $100,000 of loans in two years. And two I and just... No, really? Yeah. Eh, ish. I don't know. 14 months, I think. Well, I guess. Great so controversy. Make them yeah. look. All right. You guess. Um, and I started posting it on my personal account and it wasn't getting very much traction. Um, I was like, I had a blog. I think your personal account is private too. Yeah. Well, probably, you know, <laughs> I don't want people seeing stuff. <laughs> it's personal. Um, but I, I kind of, I had a YouTube channel. I started talking about things and I realized like, yeah, I really do think that I'm an organized person, but I'm not like there are so many people who are professionals in the field of weddings. Like there's wedding yeah. coordinators and there's wedding event pl planners and there's people who like really know what they're talking about. And not only do I, I do know what I'm talking about in our wedding, in our situation, but I yes. felt like I couldn't apply to a million different people. And that was very limiting for me. So yeah. while I do you know, I did put out a lot of content and I think that it's good content and I'm proud of the work I did. I started to realize like, I think that it's not just weddings that I'm organized in. I think it is the, our house. Like people would come over and they're like, your books are color coded just because they're right there. That's what I thought of. <laughs> your fridge is so organized. Like how do you do that? And that's where I was like, wow, the, these are things that will impact people in a way that's, you know, they can't, they can hire someone to come in and organize their fridge. Like those things exist, but mm -hmm. I can reach so many people and teach them how to make eating healthy a thing because I know how to organize that. And I can say like, here, you can print this grocery list and this inventory list, and here's how to meal plan and meal prep. And this is how I get it all done. And the amount of people that I've been able to influence on Instagram just blows my mind. And I think you've had more nutritional conversations on Instagram than I've had nutritional conversations on Instagram. No, and you're my resource. Like I'm like, well, everything I learned is from my husband, but I'm happy about that. And I'm happy that it, we're reaching people at all because I mean, this is an example. I posted a video of TikTok, a video of TikTok, a video to TikTok mm -hmm. and it was of our fridge and prepping, like putting all the food in our fridge. And they, someone commented on it was like, where's the real food? And I was like, that hit you hard for like, oh man, week. I even posted it on my Instagram. I was like, real food. Like our fridge has literally the picture is chicken on the top with some ground beef with like leftover taco meat mm. with a pile of eggs. eggs. Yeah. Our whole middle shelf is apples and pears and bell peppers and carrots and celery and all of this wonderful produce like perfectly displayed yeah with like you know underneath was the sauces. just yeah we have sauces and then the drawers we have extra vegetables that you can see and i'm just like what like real food how does how do you not know that this is real food like yeah. where what are you eating like yeah. if you think that real food is like 
I don't even know. I that's what I was so blown away by was I was like, I I couldn't figure it out. I'm thinking of my mom's fridge. I'm thinking of like the family that I nanny's at fridge. I'm like, what in the world is real food yeah. to you? And that made me want to like I literally went on Instagram and I was like here's a picture of my fridge and I tagged like anybody I was like hashtag real food <laughs> like I was like anybody that sees this I want them to know like this is what we actually eat it's not yeah. a pretty picture that someone paid me to advertise like yeah. this is what we eat we eat meat and vegetables and fruit and and nighttime like our biggest you know binge eat is like a peanut butter sandwich like yeah. So We're, like we we do have bread. Mine is usually sourdough. Sorry, maybe. I'm realizing I'm like screaming. <laughs> You're really excited. I'm about so it. excited. Um, but like we do have a box of rice that usually we eat. That we have white rice that we incorporate into when I make unstuffed peppers. It's probably yeah. the only meal. Um, when I, we don't eat a lot of pasta. Um, we've had that pasta like for a while now. Um, luckily we have airtight containers yeah. that keep that fresh, but no, we don't, we I, don't, I definitely carbs. have fruit snacks. I go through phases, um, but it's not something that is overwhelming and every day. And I also have a, you know, in our cooking cabinet, a thing of chocolate chips that I dive into, but like fridge wise, I, I can't that I think that was what I was blown away by. It yeah. was like, yes, obviously we have processed carbs, but no one keeps processed carbs in their fridge. Like, what do you keep in your fridge? <laughs> and that's what I was like. I mean, people keep leftovers and stuff like that. And yeah. we, we are normal. Like we do eat the, that type of food. But what has recently just lit a fire in me is that I want to, you know, I want to make it, I want not only you to see what I eat and like, let me post throughout the day showing you that and let me inspire you to, you know, work out every day and get outside every day and mm -hmm. all of these things that I'm very passionate about and that we are very passionate about, but I also want to give them the ability just as you are with your clients and this podcast and the things that you do, mm -hmm. I want to be like, this is how to create a healthy yeah. habit. And it's not, you don't wake up one day and have a perfectly looking fridge and know how to grocery shop. Like it is step by step. You are slowly forming those habits. You're mm -hmm. going to take the time to organize your fridge. You're going to take the time to buy more produce. You're going to take the time to do inventory and make a grocery list. Like those are all the big things. Is it easy? No. Yeah. I've been, I mean, I've been doing it for a while and yeah. I feel like I'm very good at it and I'm very good at lists and stuff. And it's still hard. Just this week we went grocery shopping. I was like, I'm going to make it three weeks. We're going to buy enough food for three weeks. We are out of produce. Like we have nothing in our fridge right now besides apples. And I'm going to have to go back Clement to the store. Are you Clementines? Are you allergic to Clementines? I think so. No, I eat them. The kids have them at their house too, so I eat clementines there, and I just don't want to eat them here too. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> They're that makes more sense. Um, but no, it's I'm definitely not perfect, but having the resources available and mm -hmm. having you to talk to and be like, this is what I need to work on. I mean, I I comment on your Instagram stuff saying like I'm struggling with eating enough vegetables. I mm -hmm. I'm not hitting my mi micronutrients. Yeah. And there's I'm not perfect, but then I remember where we were a year ago and i'm like whoa mm -hmm. like it's just you're just going up and nothing that you do better today is going to make you 
worse. Like you take one step today to do a little bit better. You're going to get better Mm -hmm. and then take one more tiny little step and you're going to get better. And then you're going to at some point look back a week, a month, a year, and you're going to be like, I am this much better. Mm -hmm. And you're pumping me up. I'm excited. (laughs) Um, now it's probably getting close to your bedtime and or our time, our our sleep routine to get started. (laughs) Um, but as far as health goes, what would be your definition? Um, not the dictionary definition, but what would be your definition of health? Like, what do you aspire to be? Um, I want to do everything in my power to be able to live a quality life and that means playing with my children and living to an old age and being able to move and get up and get down and um for that to be a success I need to be sleeping properly and efficiently I need to be eating healthy I need to be working out and moving my body and being active I need to take care of myself mentally I need to take care of our relationship. And I mm-hmm. think all of those are so important for health. I don't think that health is just a physical or a nutritional thing. I think it's your relationships and your habits and mm-hmm. everything surrounding it. Um, as far as uh, from your life, what is one thing that you think that uh, people could take away from this that could help them uh, in theirs? Um, I think that there are resources out there to help you. There are a million great Instagram accounts. There's free printables. There's things that make it easier. Whether you're an app person or you like to have a physical piece of paper, like you don't have to walk into the grocery store and not feel prepared. There's things that will make it easier. There's habit trackers. There's always a resource out there. There's inspiration. Like you're not in this alone. So find someone to help you. Mm -hmm. Well, Jessica, I loved having you on the podcast and look forward to doing this again soon. Thanks. Love you.